Another bisexual brunch and a pack show ahead. We've also got a backlog in our personal journey stories. We've been saving them up and hope to unleash some more of them soon. So do watch out for more activity from Bisexual Brunch in coming weeks and months. In this show, we're going to be hearing from our first lesbian guest on the programme. Journalist and broadcaster Emma Goswell joins us. I was Emma's first boss in radio back uh, 20 years ago or so. She's joining us to talk about dating bisexual women, so a different perspective than usual. And she will also be talking about biphobia in the lesbian community. We'll be speaking to Vineet Mehta about his new book, Bisexual Men Exist, among the topics, the stress older bi men face in attempting to come out later in life, and his views on the lack of financial support for the B in LGBT. With a bisexual journey story from 37-year-old Rebecca Cox in Reading, and we'll be talking Sex in the City, Heartstopper, and I Kissed a Boy. With the Ask a Bisexual feature as usual, plus we'll be asking if Pride needs a rethink. That's all to come on Bisexual Brunch with Nikki Hodgson, Ashley Byrne and Lewis Oakley. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, then we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. So Bisexual Brunch continues and uh, as always we, we, we're always getting plenty of correspondence from people uh, all around the world. Every other day we get something uh, from somebody somewhere talking about how Bisexual Brunch has helped them and all the rest of it and uh, we also get people who comment quite considerably on exactly what we say so it's really important what we what we you what the three of us argue about because everyone gets quite sort of quite attached to what we're what we're saying and and, and our opinions and things so we better be careful aren't we <laughs> it, it shows that there's a degree of responsibility sometimes in what we're talking about um somebody wrote to us and said um happy pride month and um said they love the may episode and agree with everything about changing hearts and minds and the importance of interviews with people like lawrence fox because of course in the last episode we were talking about the fact that uh Lewis had been on uh, GB News on Lawrence's show because he'd had a, an, a, a piece uh, the previous, uh, I think the previous week actually, in which he'd interviewed somebody and said, um, well, was basically challenging the existence of bisexuality. So Lewis got in touch and went in and uh, challenged Lawrence. And actually, to be fair, the, if you listen back to the interview, uh, which you can hear in May's edition of Bisexual Brunch, he was reasonably okay. I had a, a, Lawrence and, and Lewis had a reasonable conversation about uh, bisexuality, and I think um, I think he served bisexuals quite well, actually, and, uh, and, and uh, it was an intelligent debate. Um, however, uh, this person who wrote to us says, um, Lawrence Fox burning pride flags in his garden on Father's Day probably sends a more incendiary message to his followers and undermines it a bit. Quite hard to trust and know what's genuine, versus uh, what's performative in this climate, uh, but harder and harder to feel positive about the direction. So I just thought we'd have a little chat about that. And there's another area we'll talk about in a moment. But 
I do feel that certain debates about certain issues and trans, of course, is one of them, is opening up the sort of avenues for what people feel is their opportunity to be more and more prejudiced and transphobic and homophobic and all the rest of it. And this, for me, went too far. If you watch the video, he basically says that trans people are child mutilators. Hmm. You know, that he doesn't mince his words. Um, and, yeah, then sets sets fire to the flags and we obviously you know we all know about setting fires fires to flags it's got a long fascist history let's be yes. really honest and Lawrence isn't stupid and he he knows that I mean he he really is trying to set people off and that's the kind of provocation that nobody needs it's irresponsible for a start it's really irresponsible it comes across as completely over the top performative you know attention seeking and I, I did retweet the video and just was like, come on, what are you doing? And and also, isn't this a hate crime? And then it's not about opinion. It's nothing to do with opinion. It's all about what we've decided as a democracy we won't tolerate. I think there was two videos. There's the one where he's actually doing the burning and there's another one where he, he tries to explain what he likes and doesn't like about the pride flag. And there's one where he's talking about uh, the lesbian, gay and bisexual bit of the flag he doesn't have a problem with. His problem is with the other two elements he talks about. He doesn't feel that that the uh, Black Lives Matter side of things should be on the flag because it's conflating sexuality and race, race together. He doesn't think that should happen. And he also doesn't think that, well, he he thinks that the the, the representation of uh, trans and uh, non-binary and all the rest of it is wrong because, of course, of his objection to the, the issues around, around trans side of things. But yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I just think it's, it's just going far too far. What do you make of it, Lewis? Because, of course, you were in a situation whereby, and I think Nikki and I were happy and agreed with it, and I think a lot of the listeners agree with it, the fact that you went on to GB News, and it's clear he's got, you know, extreme views on sort of trans stuff, certainly, um, and we, you know, and you challenged him on the, on the bisexual attitude kind of thing, and and we welcomed that because we thought, actually, it's important for you for people to challenge views which, you know, well, to challenge to challenge myths and stereotypes, really. So well done on that. But you must have been quite disappointed to see um, this happening. Yeah, I mean, so for me, obviously, we all know what Lawrence Fox is like. Um, you know, if you listen to the last episode, it kind of goes into my reasonings of why I thought it was the right thing to go and have this debate with him, which is more about, you know, it's not just him. It's that he's got an audience and actually being able to have a reasonable discussion with him in front of that audience, I think, is is the kind of people we need to be talking to, you know. They're not going to be listening to Bisexual Brunch. Well, some of them are. I do a lot of plugging for us on there. But anyway, back to the matter at hand. Yeah, I think the words for this was just really, you know, disappointing, if I've got to be honest, because I take criticism for going and having conversations with certain figures and people that people would you know say well why are you bothering with them they're far right or they're this and that and you know I'm a hopeful person and I'm also someone that really believes no like equality is as strong as its weakest link like we can't just write people off and not engage with them because then it makes it a lot easier for them to other us and for it to be like oh well, those people over there and they're always mean to me anyway so who cares but actually going and being face-to-face with someone and being, you know, a reasonable person and, and having that debate with him, you know, I kind of felt like, oh, you you know, there's there's hope for you yet. 
And I think this video just shows well, there's not, is there? And, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, he's not my responsibility, but I think that, you know, when you, when you go and try and work on someone and, and other people are telling you, don't do that, he's a lost cause. You know, a lot of people can turn around now and be like, see, see? Um, but you know what? It is who I am. I'm always going to go and try and, you know, have conversations with people that don't agree with us and try and get my point across. And, you know, it looks, you know, I've been on that show and not talked about bisexuality since as well, because I actually thought, you know what, sometimes if you go on and talk about other things, it, it helps them see you as an individual. So, you know what, we might disagree on fries, but actually we, we're aligned on AI or something like that. Um, so for me, this was really disappointing because, you know, it wasn't even that he had a difference of opinion and was putting it across. It was, it was provocative. It was burning the flag. You know, it was just, it was, it was just disappointing, disgusting, um, didn't need to happen. And it just, you know, I think for me personally, when you kind of, think that you're as I say he's not my responsibility but I think when you kind of feel like oh I'm working on someone and you know I'll bring them around to then see that is just you know it is what it is. Lewis giving his reaction there uh, now it's very important to say that since we recorded our discussion uh, between myself Nikki and Lewis there has been uh, an update um, uh, with regards to uh, Lawrence Fox and uh, that burning of the pride flag and indeed uh, the Metropolitan Police uh, decided there was no case to answer. They said we were made aware of a video uploaded onto social media that showed the burning of a number of progress pride flags. The footage was reviewed in full in conjunction with the Crown Prosecution Service and they say no criminal offences uh, were identified as having been committed. They go on to say the Metropolitan Police recognises that this instance has caused community concern and we take any allegation of hate crime seriously. We will continue to work alongside our partners to support and protect all of our communities in London. So that was the upshot of that. In the end, uh, the Metropolitan Police decided that um, Lawrence Fox had not committed any hate crime. So our discussion continued, but this time around the issue of whether or not uh, we should be appearing on channels like GB News. I was always give give networks like uh, GB News, uh, Talk TV, um, and to an extent LBC um, benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, it's a kind of uh, news channel which I'm not keen on. I don't really like partisan channels where there's a particular stance taken whether it be left right center whatever it may be i don't like that it's not it's not something i i was i was brought up as a journalist who believed that everything should be everything you do to an extent should be so have some degree of balance or recognition of balance and i don't really if i'm being honest i don't really approve of them in that way but i was willing to give them the benefit of the doubt but i've started to i've started to dislike them now because i feel as though they uh, are opening up um, opportunities for the freedom for certain prejudices to come, prejudices to come through, and that really, really does worry me. Um, not to say that everybody who's watching GB News and not everybody who's contributing, as we know, to GB News in terms of presenters or contributors, is in any way um, ultra right wing or ultra left wing or ultra anything. In that sense, there's a mixture of people, but there does seem to be because they're very much channels about views and people's people's you know there seems to be an opportunity for certain things to take flight 
And that really concerns me a little bit, um, which you would never get on Sky, on the BBC, ITV, Channel 4, Channel 5 or whatever. So it, it worries me that we've gone down that route of those kind of American style sort of channels. And sorry to our American audiences listening, but as a, as a country, we've never had that tradition until this is the first time this has emerged. And it's quite interesting to know because you two obviously have your own particular views and you both appear on GB News at times. Um, do you ever, either of you ever find, feel a little bit uncomfortable? I mean, Nikki, you're on Sky and you're on GB News. Do you feel more comfortable on Sky, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I do. And I've been on Sky for 10 years, so it's like, that, that's kind of like my home station. Um, the reason I ended up working at GB News is because my producer at Sky moved there. So I went on the basis of our relationship, not on the basis of the channel. And also a bit like Lewis said, I knew there were going to be some people that I would consider quite unethical and crackpot work in there, mentioning no names. But I thought, well, it, it's a chance to reach the audience. It's a bit like when you write a piece for a tabloid as a journalist, you know, like every so often, I don't really do it anymore, but I used to write for The Sun. And, you know, there's lots of issues with The Sun, but I just thought, well, I can't reach the audience if I'm not in that paper. Mm. And it's always a learning experience. So... That's basically why I started. I also have to say that I work for the the least partisan show on there, which is the breakfast chat, the breakfast program. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm comfortable on the shows that I work on. Also, I just keep thinking, what if you are that one person that does change a few minds on that particular show and talk someone off a ledge? Let's say there seems to be in a driven agenda sometimes. So like on the trans stuff, where clearly quite a few of the presenters on GB News have an issue with the trap with trans basically and so they they have a diatribe they come out with at the beginning of programs and they'll talk about it and yes there's often a debate and there's often people on who don't agree with them and things but there seems like an it seems like an agenda and that the people who are on there who are taking a different opinion are there in a way for, for the audience who a lot of the audience not all but a lot of the audience might be feeling positive to the agenda, as it were. They're there for the audience to just have a bit of a bit of fun at. And I, fe I felt that quite a bit with the trans thing. I felt quite uncomfortable on that with trans stuff. I've also found, I felt uncomfortable with the way in which the channel took the Philip Schofield stuff that I felt as though they took it too far. You know, it, it just became like a, a, a vendetta. And, a, you know, people like Peter Tatchell and Elton John and Rupert Everett and various others have said that they said as said as much. They thought it was taken too far, and actually, it was starting to verge on not just on channels like GB News, but certainly on Twitter and whatever. People starting to use the issue as an excuse to um, support their uh, latent sort of homophobia, which generally, as a media, for a long time we've managed to suppress quite a lot of homophobia for quite a while, and that's sort of coming to the fore. So it worries me that these. These discussions and these channels and and whatever sometimes become gateways to prejudice. Lewis, what do you what do you think? Um, so I'm going to read out a tweet. Tweet reads: Many, if not all, of my friends see at GB News as bigoted, homophobic, far right crap. It couldn't be further from the truth. In brackets, mostly tonight, I was spellbind by Josh Howey's interview with Lewis Oakley to see someone like Lewis, who I relate to, having an adult conversation. Priceless, and that for me is what it's about. These discussions that they're having, whether it be on trans or LGBT, whatever it is, they are going to have them anyway. If reasonable LGBT people can go on and have that debate with them and kind of, you know, not come across aggressive, but have those reasonable discussions. I think it's the only way through. I'm slightly conflicted, as you kind of say, is about, you know, 
the, the things they're saying are not right. We don't want to hear it. Do are they creating the discussion or are they having discussions that people around the UK are having? And if so, then we really need to have our point of view across. I really think for LGBT people right now, I don't think I've ever seen it so dire at the moment. And it kind of feels like, you know, there's the two sides are getting further and further away from each other, understandably. But I do think, you know, we've all got to coexist. So we do have to, if there are people like me or Nikki that, you know, got the tolerance to go and sit and debate some of this stuff. I, I actually think it does do good work, um, you know, and and also, you know, sometimes we go on and we're not even talking about bisexuality. They, you know, they've just taken a shine to us. They want to talk about the general news stuff. And it's like, yeah, but you know what? I'm still introduced as Lewis Oakley, you know, podcaster for Bisexual Brunch. It's still that little, it's like, you know what? It's not all about my bisexuality. You know, it just helps you not other me. It, you know, we can find other things to agree. Or we can find other things to disagree about. And I just think, you know, I think, and I do blame a lot of this on social media, I think everyone's become tribal. I think everyone's in their own bubble. And the only way we're going to improve the world is if we have discussions together. And, you know, that's not to excuse some of the things that have been said on these talk TVs and these GB news. Some of the things, particularly about trans, that they've said is just completely outrageous. Um, but if we don't challenge it, if we do, you know, interact with them, things are not going to change. So, you know, it is what it is. I feel just the same, Lewis, and that's exactly how why I stick it out. And also, some of the presenters are perfectly reasonable. Some of the guests are perfectly reasonable. There's, there's a chance to have a discussion that's reaching people I can't reach otherwise. Exactly what you said. You know, people that might feel intimidated or um, slightly uncomfortable, maybe, with the views or the positions we have, they need to see us. They need to see us as palatable. Yeah. It's very, very important. So that's that's kind of my justification for it. And funnily yeah. enough, today I was actually asked to go on Jacob Rees-Mogg's show in August. And um, me and Jacob Rees-Mogg have got about as much in common as me and a blue whale, to be honest. But I, I'm very up for it because I'm very interested in br bridging the gap, you know? And just to say on that, just a final point as well, as just to say, I know that some of the presenters can be completely outrageous, but some of them have been absolutely lovely. And the producers and the teams that have worked there have, have always been really quite respectful. I mean, obviously they've got a job to do and they know their audience, but they've been they've been very polite. But our, but our critics on this, uh, Lewis, and we know there are critics out there in the LGBT world who would say all that's happening is you're sort of giving them what was the word? You're giving them legitimacy, really, for their for their views. I, I personally, I don't agree with that as somebody who's you know, I don't think of myself as left or right. I'm probably somewhere in the, in the middle kind of thing, really. But um, and I think it's important that we have uh, we have any all channels that represent lots of different views. My my problem is the fact that everything is is so binary. Everything is either one thing or it's another, and you're nothing in between, and you can't have a proper discussion. And I hate all that. And I think that's what, what we we become as a as a society, and certainly our media has become like that, which I find absolutely appalling. Again, something we've probably inherited in a way from. From America, which I think is, is pretty sad. But um, there will be people out there who will criticise and say that we're creating a pathway. And I do, I, I can see some of that a little bit with regards to some of the way in which it becomes a, sort of an, an agenda and it gives a bit, of a bit of legitimacy for sort of extreme views. Having said all that, you know, we're talking here and representing bisexual people, you know, um, the mainstream media doesn't really give us a massive, massive amount of coverage, does it? 
Do you know what I mean? We don't, we don't, you know, we're still banging on the door and trying to get programs off the ground on mainstream channels about bisexuality and such like. So, you know, well, that, well, but that's here's the, the thing: we, yeah. we are we are outsiders on a level. And so, you know, GB News is kind of made up of outsiders of different, you know, different degrees. So in yeah. a way, you know, it's a very motley crew, but, you know, I agree, like, they're not afraid of our difference, I would say. Yeah, I would say that too. And to, you know, people that, that do question, because I have heard this argument, oh, you're legitimizing it, which I say, they always have the, they always have the conversation without us. Actually being counted in, in that discussion and being reasonable, I think is important. But just to say, I am pitched, whenever I've got a story on bisexuality, it's not like I would just pitch it to GB News. It goes to Sky, it goes to the BBC, it goes to ITV, it goes to all of them. And as Nikki says, it's it's more that network in particular, maybe Talk TV to, a, to an extent, will kind of have you on a bit more to discuss it because that's their kind of interest. Whereas, you know, I could, you know, the BBC, I would say, what, three times a year, I probably get invited on to talk about something and that's it. Just to clarify, when it comes to these channels, you know, the ex extremity and most of the ones we've got at the moment are perceived as being perceived as being right wing. Um, but I'd, 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 I'd have exactly the same uncomfortability being, uh, being comfortable of channels that were extreme left wing as well, because there's equally as many ex you know, extreme issues on the left, on the far left. I'm talking about, you know, if you look back in history. Um, you know, which are just as bad as the far right, in, as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, I'd have a problem with either way. But I just think, um, I, you know, I just think it's it, it's just sad that we've become such a society which is so, you know, hooked up, hooked up on 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 binary. But I think we do have to watch out for um, things going over the line and to flag up anything which becomes, as Nikki says, which which sort of you know is is could be perceived as as breaking the law because those laws are there for a reason. And my concern with all of this is that LGBT rights, which were hard fought, um, a wafer thin. The, the, the social media world that we live in has shown up how latent some of these awful views are and that we, we've, we've not beaten certain prejudices. They still exist in all their glory, don't they, Nikki? Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, you know, it's like women's rights you know, remember, it's basically 100 years since women have the, had the vote. That can easily be changed. It, it's actually a palimpsest, as Margaret Atwood says, a very thin sliver of time where women have had equality, and it's exactly the same for LGBTQI people. This could be the anomaly. Do you know what I mean? Having rights could be the anomaly, not not having rights. Yes. And we have to hold that in our minds at all time. Not forgetting that we're in a country that, that it's legal and there are so many where it's illegal or at least you can't get married. We are an anomaly. There are lots of countries now that where LGBT rights are a lot better. Britain is one of the better ones in the, in the world, to be honest. There are countries not too far away that are, um, and which we hear nothing about. We really ought to be, we in the LGBT community, but also uh, the mass media in this country should be looking at things that are happening in places like Uganda. You know where where new laws have been brought in in that country to persecute gay people. It actually leads to people possibly uh, being killed. Um, and you know, Uganda's not that far away, really. And you know, we I think we should be spending a lot more time in looking at countries which are clearly are you know breaking human rights rules. You know, countries like Uganda, countries like Nigeria, um, Jamaica. Um, there's a whole long list of countries where. Being LGBT is uh, is not accepted, and um, 
as a, as, a, as countries where it is okay to be LGBT, we, we don't shout up enough, I don't think. You're listening to the Bisexual Brunch Podcast. Let's stay a little bit with the media for a second. Lewis, you've written an article about Sex and the City and about how Sex and the City, the original Sex and the City, uh, wasn't particularly good when it came to uh, understanding bisexuality. And there's going to be a reboot and you're trying to make sure or to encourage them to uh, address that. Yeah, so as many people will know, in the original Sex and the City, there was an episode that featured a bi-male character, the, the title character, to the Carrie Bradshaw date of the spy guy. It was just an episode. And, the you know, it didn't work out, A. Um, but B, the way it was handled, I mean, the things that came out of their mouth was, you know, bisexuality is, is just um, a layover on the way to gay town. It's greedy double dipping, um, all of this kind of stuff. And for me, I, I actually did a, spe- uh, a panel discussion recently and this came up and I said that I would like to see a damage assessment of that clip because you've got to remember back in the 90s, it really captivated people. It really had a moment. And a lot of young people, especially young women, you know, kind of turned to that show as a bit of a Bible, I guess, of how to navigate love and sex. And it inspired a lot of people. I think it really broke a lot of boundaries around, you know, having sex out of marriage, being single in your 30s. There was a lot of stuff there and really sold this idea of New York or city life and clothes and all this stuff. And you know, I think it had a big impact on a lot of people. And when part of that story is that the only thing I think all four characters agreed on was that bisexual men were not a good thing. I think that it did, in a lot of young people's minds, kind of put that in. I think, you know, what we find a lot with bisexuality is people aren't usually thought out on it. People have usually got a couple of bits and bobs that they've heard about it over the years, and then they've just kind of repeated it. It's the only thing that they've never really thought about it. So I think it's done a lot of damage. I think, it, you know, it probably equally relates to the amount of um, straight women that say they wouldn't date by men. So anyway, they are, they've come back. So they've already done one season of this show, and just like that, which is just the spin-off, because they can't call it the same show anymore, because Kim Cattrall won't go back. She thinks it's a toxic work environment. Anyway... But in the new series, so I watched season one and I kind of thought, you know what, maybe they will address it because it was so outrageous. It's been mentioned a couple of times. They didn't. They do, however, have two non-binary characters now. One of the lead characters is dealing with her own sexuality. And I just thought it was really unbelievable to, you know, a a lot of shows come back now and they're accused of being woke or or whatever it is. But these people, I'm like, you are you are people that were really biphobic in the 90s and there were a lot of other stuff you were too and yet now I'm supposed to believe somehow you're okay with non-binary people and you're exploring your own sexualities I need to see the progression and actually I need to see um I need to you can't be like oh well you know you know that there's that thing we always talk about where you kind of skip bisexuality it's like you know they were fine with gay they couldn't deal with bisexual and then they've skipped over bisexual. Now they, you know, that it's all about being non-binary and about um, exploring. And I'm just like, well, hold on, you didn't deal with the bisexual thing. So anyway, um, they have done to celebrate the the new season that's coming up, um, a Sex in the City experience in London, where they've kind of recreated all the sets. So you've got Carrie Bradshaw's apartment and some other bits. So I went down and wore a T-shirt that said, "Bisexuality is not a layover on the way to Gay Town." 
and took some pictures and it's yeah it's made a little bit in in this newspaper um which is great because i you know the the, the thing is i just want to bring attention to it because you know i i don't you know i guess i can't say i don't hold it against the show like but you know i'm not um incandescent with rage in it but but it had a negative impact and i do think that if the show is going to gloss over it then it's people like me that have to kind of say uh uh-uh, don't forget you said this and I was sort of asked for this interview that I did, um, you know, what what would you see like to see happen? And I said, you know what, I think would be a really good storyline because the, the title character is a writer. What if one of her articles from the 90s resurfaced where she was critical of bi men and actually has to revisit it and maybe, you know, deals with that whole, is she going to be cancelled issue and how does she correct it? And I think that that actually would be a good way to kind of talk about it. But um, who knows? I'm not a TV writer. Well, as we keep as we keep saying, bisexuality is you know you would think to writers and people would be actually really interesting because it's quite complex and it's got lots of detail. It's not it's not black and white and all the rest of it. But we struggle to seem to get that message across. Nikki, this show was very popular with women for in the ni- late '90s and early 2000s. Did it have a negative influence? Do you think on the way women saw bisexuality? Yeah, I think it did. I mean, I watched it. As a te- you know, I was a teenager at the time. I remember it being my sort of like one treat of the week when I was studying ridiculously hard was to stay up and watch that, you know, watch an episode and chill out for a bit. And um, it was quite formative for me, I think, in thinking about, in thinking actually about, I didn't realise it at the time and it wasn't my ambition at the time, but, you know, I've spent before, you know, not in not too recent past being called Yorkshire Carrie Bradshaw for all my sex writing. And, you know, I would watch that programme and think, where does she get the money for the shoes from? Because, and I, I look, I, I tell you, I've been a sex writer, you don't have money for Manolo Blahnik, you do not. It's just, I, I still wonder <laughs> what she was, what check she was cashing in for that. Anyway, I mean, it just all seemed very silly. But I think it did. I mean, you know, there's so much about that show that became cult. You know, the rabbit sex toy, for example, which um, went on to become a bestseller purely because it had been featured in that show. And, you know, there was a time when, you know, pretty much every woman had a rabbit in her bedside drawer. That is phenomenal as as influence. So I don't see why it's any different with the attitudes to bisexuality. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I remember watching. I I wasn't as close to it because I was a bit bit older, but... um... Yeah, I, I know it was very, loads of women would watch it on a regular basis. So did it sort of, obviously you then knowing, I suppose, underneath everything that you were bisexual, did it sort of, did some of the attitudes that came from that show affect you when it came to sort of getting to know people and, and women and things? I think they must have put a sort of censorship on my coming out, actually. Because at that time, even though I did know on a level, I wasn't at all tapped into the idea of that being an identity, you know? So it wouldn't have helped me. If I'd have seen a really positive representation of bisexuality, then maybe that would have helped me come into myself and come out, but I didn't. So then, you know, things like that, the climate at that time probably delayed my coming out. I would definitely say that's true. Don't forget that, you know, I obviously am going on about the bane, the male bi representation, but in, in that show, one of the title characters has a relationship with a woman. And this is the one that's kind of the sex mad one that's all about the men. And, you know, they say that she's turned lesbian. So even when one of their characters went through, it's like, turned lesbian? What are you talking about? 
you know, it, they couldn't say the words, could they? On a positive side, when it comes to bisexual representation, Heartstopper, the series which um, uh, did so well uh, last year, is coming back for a second series. I think it's on from sort of August, September time onwards on Netflix. So we look forward to that uh, fairly soon. But the BBC has been raving about their uh, BBC Three series, which has also been on BBC One as well, which is I Kissed a Boy, which is a new dating show focused on on young uh, men uh, meeting other men. And it's obviously focused on very much on on, on gay men. We, we put something on uh, bisexual Twitter page to basically say that um, why isn't there bisexual contestants in there? Because it'd be interesting to hear uh, other male feelings towards potential partners having had relationships with uh, people of, of, of the opposite gender. And to address some of those issues and things, um, and the, we we got a little bit of a response. Um, a fair few people sort of liked it and agreed with it, but the one that stood out more than anything was, "Why do we need buys on that show? It's called I Kissed a Boy, not I Kissed a Boy and then a girl and then a boy and then a girl again." Sick of the inclusivity bollocks. That was that was the response we got. What do we make of that? Because I I, I mean obviously. You know that person's clearly prejudiced against uh, uh, bisexuals and what bisexuals uh, are all about. But you know we've got a, a mainstream show on Britain's paid for by license fee channel um, representing men who happen to be meeting other men and not recognizing really that bisexuality exists. I don't know if you've seen it, Lewis. Um, I've watched it quite a few a few times now, and I've enjoyed it. I think it's a nice programme, actually. Uh, some great characters in it. They discuss lots of interesting things around sexuality, and, and it's quite, you know, it doesn't sort of, no holds, no holds barred, but a bit of a missed opportunity, don't you think? Yeah, I think it's a missed opportunity. I don't understand what, what the issue is. But again, I think this comes from a lot of people just not understanding what bisexuality is and, and how it can slot into things like this. And that some people have that kind of mindset, like, well, this is about men kissing men, so it's, it's about gay men. It's like, well, you know what? Bi men kiss bi men too. And bi men kiss gay men. So everyone can kiss each other. I don't see why. But you know what? Maybe there will be some bi characters on there um, eventually or in the next season. Um, now that we've raised some awareness of it. But yeah, yeah. I, I, it's a bit of an odd one, but it kind of shows you that kind of binary thinking in the world of television, which is what we talk about a lot. Whenever, you know, whether it's a news channel we're pitching to or whether it's a reality show, you do find a lot of the time they, they, they can't have it mixing. Yeah, indeed. Well, still to come on Bisexual Brunch, we'll be asking if Pride still connects. We'll be discussing Vinit Mehta's new book, Bisexual Men Exist. We have a bisexual journey story from Rebecca Cox in Reading. And of course, we'll have another Ask a Bisexual question, this time from Daniel in Scotland. But in a moment, a Bisexual Brunch first, as gay journalist and broadcaster Emma Goswell talks about dating by women and biphobia in the lesbian community. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. We often talk on Bisexual Brunch about prejudice within the LGBT community, often from 
gay men dating bisexual men. People find out that their boyfriend is bisexual and run a mile. And sometimes it's um, gay women, uh, lesbians who, well, the same thing happens sometimes. Um, So we thought it'd be nice to actually speak to somebody from the other side, as it were, (laughs) um, who's dated uh, somebody who is bisexual but happens to be gay. Uh, to find out her experiences. And we're joined by Emma Goswell, who is uh, a journalist and podcaster. Um, and, uh, well, I'll let you introduce yourself, Emma. You've got a quite a well-known podcast, haven't you, for the LGBT community that's out there? Thank you. And a book with the same name. Yes, yeah, very simply, it is Coming Out Stories. does what it says on the tin. So, yeah, I've been lucky enough over the last, last sort of four or five years, actually, to have interviewed over 100 people from the broad spectrum that is the LGBTQ plus society and here they're coming out stories and it's been an absolute revelation and a, and a privilege to you know hear those really personal experiences and conversations that people had you know with themselves first and then coming out to friends and family and how that experience panned out for people so yeah I've, I've loved doing it. Fantastic well one of the things that comes out from people we speak to who are bisexual is that often people are coming out several times because being mm. bi is one of those things that people tend to there's still a bit of a taboo around it they tend to have to come out you know often <laughs> and also uh, confront lots of different issues along the way and that's why I wanted to talk to you because, of course, there is a lot of misconceptions and myths around the whole idea of being bisexual. Now, you're gay, um, mm-hmm. but I gather you've dated... Although, interestingly, Ashley, I did come out as bisexual. Oh, right, okay. 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 When I first came out at university, well, weirdly, I sort of came out in 1989. They went travelling around the world. And then, because I was so repressed, I went to university and decided that I was just going to be in the closet and I wasn't going to tell anyone because it's a lot of bother, isn't it, being gay or bisexual? Yeah. It's a lot of, lot of stress in your life you don't really need. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to pretend that I'm straight or I'm just going to go back in the closet, which is a ludicrous thing to decide. And I lasted about two days, drank a bottle of vodka, vomited in my neighbour's front garden and told everyone in that house... That which were also all students, that I was gay. Well, I might have said that I was bisexual because I definitely came out as bisexual at university. And so much so that, to the extent that when I first joined, and I'm 100% sure this won't be the case now, the Student Union Society was called the Lesbian and Gay Society. There wasn't even a B, let alone a T, and I made them change the name to Lesbian, Gay and Bisexual Society. Oh, well done, well done. To, yeah, to include me, as I identified as bisexual at the time. <laughs> Even if it's a short period of time. Um, and I'm sure it'll be the LGBTQ plus society now, anyway. Now, people listening to your story, though, who aren't necessarily au fait with what being bisexual is about and don't necessarily mm. understand it, will think to themselves, well, there you go, then. She was just she was just making it up. She was on the way to being, being gay. And that is the thing that a lot of people who are bisexual get labelled at them, that literally... They're doing it as a way of hiding something, of feeling a bit better about themselves, etc. Or it's a phase. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And obviously there are people out there that do do that. Let's face it, that that is part of the, the, the mixture of people who are out there. But obviously oh, there I've are a lot of people on my people, podcast there are a lot. who have openly said to me, yeah. I came out as bisexual first because I thought it would be better for my parents to hear that. And I, they would then go, oh, well, one day they might settle down with someone of the opposite gender and get married and give us grandchildren. And they thought that would soften the blow. I've absolutely spoken to people that have said that. But of course that does... You know, true bisexuals a disservice, doesn't it? Because it makes people yeah. think that it just doesn't exist. I've had uh, gay men, friends, people who are still friends of mine, and questions why they're still friends, but they are, and who've literally said bisexuality just doesn't exist. It's, it doesn't exist. We don't believe in it. You know what I mean? Which is ludicrous. And, and I feel bad in that I am one of those people that, for want of a better... No, I didn't go for a phase. I said it with all um, genuine reasons behind it when I said that I was bisexual. It just that as it transpired in my life, you know, I wasn't saying it as some people have said because I thought I wanted to soften the blow to anyone. At the time, I thought I was bisexual and I was still dating men at university. I still had a few relationships with men at university. And I just, I think for me, it was just that I hadn't fully worked it out in my head yet. And it took me, because I didn't really have many relationships at school. I was still 18, 19. I was still young. I was still inexperienced. I didn't really know where I was going in life or what I was doing. And certainly sexually, I was very naive and I hadn't really had a lot of partners. And I just thought, well, you know, I've had some relationship with men. I'll carry on having relationships with men. But clearly I'm attracted to women because my first relationship really was with a woman. So I said I was bisexual, and that's what I thought. And it wasn't really until a few years later I sort of thought, oh, actually, I've really not had any proper relationships with men, and when I have had sexual encounters with men, I've not particularly enjoyed it or felt like I knew what I was doing or was in the right place. And that part of my life just faded out, and I literally woke up one morning and went, yeah, probably not bisexual then because I have not pursued men or fancied men in many many months or years so yeah for me it was just a a gradual process but I do feel guilt about it I feel guilt on behalf of bisexuals because that's why a lot of people say oh bisexuality it's just a phase it's just what people say when they mean they're gay and I feel part of that perpetuating that stereotype and that myth really I think the issue is though that um remember the word you just mentioned the fact that you know you had to add the word bisexual into the lesbian and gay sort of name uh, where you were society yeah yeah um but you know the word bisexual just wasn't used so there there are people growing up who 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 don't need don't actually think i didn't think i mean hopefully things are changing slowly but surely now but didn't think it was even an option to them so they didn't really know what bisexual was do you know what i mean it wasn't really talked about it was a taboo and i think it still is to to an extent so you you shouldn't blame yourself in that sense because i think at the end of the day i think people you know, people are on a on a, on a, a voyage of discovery, as it were, and there's not there's nobody there giving you a a manual, is there, to say what you do oh, at the end of the day? There very much wasn't, and this was the late '80s, remember as well. And I was very much on my own. I didn't know any other gay people or bisexual people. Uh, in fact, for a very small period of time, at the end of 1989, I had a girlfriend and a boyfriend, which. Uh, Seems slightly bonkers now when I reflect on it, but uh, I was just navigating my way in the world. I didn't really understand what the rules were. Look at you, boyfriend and a girlfriend all at once. Say, ooh. Yeah. Now, some some bisexuals would like that idea. Yeah. (laughs) They'd like to have a boyfriend and a girlfriend at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) So, So, obviously, that was your experience. 
but you've actually ended up dating quite a few bisexual women over over, your, over the years, haven't you? Yes, and in fact, I would say, I mean, let's just say I'm 52 now. I've been around the block a few times, and I've been unlucky in love. Um, I have dated a lot of women, and I would say predominantly most of them have been bisexual. I have dated a lot of bisexual women in my time. I really have. So yeah, maybe I'm quite well placed to talk about this sort of prejudice that you get from the rest of the world when you date bisexuals because I've heard it a lot <laughs> and have you did you find the bisexual women that you dated did you find that they were were they open about being bisexual at the start of each of those relationships yes 100 percent. and they were always talking about their ex-boyfriends or you know I thought that they were straight because they would I'd meet them and they were talking about ex-boyfriends and then they suddenly ended up in relationships with me and some for some women, it was their first ever relationship with a woman. So that was a surprise to them and me. And then for others, you know, they were just very open about being bisexual. But and I, I do remember one where, and this was fairly recently, actually. So I'm going to say it was about 2018. And I'd started dating this woman. We'd met on a dating app. And I think she'd put on the app that she was gay. She hadn't really mentioned that she was bisexual. And, and why, why would she? Um, and we went on about our third or fourth date and we had a lovely picnic. We went to a beach, got the train. Um, she made a lovely spread all in Tupperware boxes. It was all very healthy and lovely. Anyway, I'm painting the scene here, you see. And uh, then she said, oh, um, this is lovely, but, you know, I feel a bit anxious because I've got something to tell you. And I was like, oh, my God, what's this going to be? And she built it up to such an extent that I thought it was going to be something absolutely horrific, like she'd been in prison, she'd murdered someone. I, you know, I really thought it was going to be horrific. And she said, oh, I need to tell you that I'm actually bisexual. I was like, God, no shit, Sherlock. Most people have been out with a bisexual. <laughs> but she really thought it was going to be a deal breaker. And I'm sure she'd had relationships with women where it had been a deal breaker. Um, and I was just like, yeah, whatever. Pass the sandwiches. We'll talk in a minute about the fact that a lot of uh, gay people, gay men and gay women, um, have an issue with bisexuality. We'll talk about what that issue may be in a minute. But amongst mm. those people that you've dated who are who are bisexual women, did you note, were there degrees of, of, of them being comfortable with themselves? Were, were there some who were a bit mm. sort of... I know, mixed up about it, a bit sort of worried about being bisexual, a bit sort of, you know, couldn't quite come to terms with it? Or were they quite sort of settled in themselves in being bisexual? I think a mixture. I mean, I've, I've dated a, women, a lot of women with a lot of issues over the years, actually. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> but interestingly, what happened with that one I was just talking about, um, she ended the relationship and I was very upset at the time. Um, and I was told it was because they weren't in the right place and they had a child and they had a lot of other things to think about and they were definitely not in the right place for dating. And then, fast forward uh, a few weeks, literally two or three weeks, I went back on the dating app and they were back on it looking for men. So I felt like a piece of shit. I felt like, you know, you know, all those awful comments that have been thrown at me for dating bisexual women over the years were like ringing in my ears going well look you know it's happened you know because all I've been told for years by other lesbians is stop dating bisexuals Emma because they're only really looking for men and they really want to settle down with a man 
And when that happened to me, I kind of thought, bloody hell, maybe they're right. But I, I yeah. don't genuinely believe that. Maybe it was right Go in on. that particular situation, you know what I mean? And yeah. people's sexuality changes and moves on. Mm. And, you know, for some people, it can be different in one week, can it? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, bisexual well, yeah. people, it's very, it can be very fluid, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. So, what, so, so yeah, so in the situation you're in now, are you da- you're dating somebody who's, who happens to be gay nowadays? I mean, it's like your partner's gay, is she? Yes. And and I hate this term, it's ridiculous, but a gold star lesbian, so has never had sex with a man. Okay. And apparently you, you're you not likely to get something, which is a sexually transmitted disease, so therefore you can your blood can be used. Have you heard this? So your blood can be used to be donated to anybody. Have you heard this? Oh, really? This? No. Mm. No, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, a gold star lesbian who has never had a relationship with a man, never had sex with a man, never had any sexual encounters with a man. So 100% lesbian, yeah. And I think she probably finds it weird to think that I've had sex with men, but uh, it's it's so far in ancient history, it barely registers now, really. Well, it's last century, isn't it? Oh, very much. It would have been early 90s, yeah. We're very much <laughs> last century. I've not let sex with a man this century. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, but there is... An issue, isn't there, within the LGBT community uh, over over you know biphobia in terms of we know certainly I know certainly there's a lot of men who, who are very biphobic about you know they would just never even touch somebody who said they were bisexual at all. Um, but I always get the impression that it might be I've always got the impression maybe lesbians are a little bit more um, understanding because there tends to be much more awareness of bisexuality among women than there is amongst amongst men but but are you saying that actually there's still quite a lot of prejudice within the lesbian fraternity i mean i don't talk to a lot well, i do talk to quite a lot of gay men but i would say that's not true at all i would say that there is still a lot of prejudice and phobia against bisexual people amongst lesbians as well 100 percent. i mean going back a few years now but one of my good friends was a real lesbian activist and, you know, was on all the marches back in the day, was at Greenham Common, was always in relationships with women and then got to, gosh, probably in their 50s, actually. And they'd had a very long-term relationship with a woman and got to in their 50s. And I remember her coming out to me, as it were, and I'd known her for years. And she said, Emma, I've got something to tell you. I mean, I've met someone and I was like, oh, that's fantastic. I'm really happy for you because they've been single for a while and I knew that they were looking. And she said, yeah, but the thing is, I'm in a relationship with a man. And I was slightly surprised because I'd just known her to be not just a lesbian, but, you know, a real trailblazer for lesbian activism. She'd written books on it. She'd been on all the marches, led half the marches. So I was fairly surprised, but I just went, that's fantastic. I'm so happy for you. And she said, I'm so glad you said that because loads of people have stopped speaking to me. People have really, some people had really turned their backs on her in the lesbian community. And I was utterly gobsmacked. I I just couldn't believe that. I mean, we are probably going back about 15 years for that, but still, I mean, I've had it so many times, people just saying, why date a bisexual? You know, other lesbians just going, this is, you know, philosophise it. This is your problem, Emma. You're dating bisexuals again. It's never going to work out. Why are you bothering? So I've heard it from plenty of women. I really have. So what do you think the issue is deep down? Is it that fear of 
basically somebody le- leaving you for a for a bloke kind of thing. What, what, yeah. what, what's the deep issue? Do you think? I, you know, going back to me as a teenager, I made the stupid decision. Oh, it's it's just easy to be straight, isn't it? So. People think that if you have the choice, if you are 50-50 down the line, why would you not make your life easier and just be with someone of the opposite gender if you have that choice? And in some lesbians' heads, that is what is always going to happen because most people will decide to live an easy life, please the parents, you know, give them grandchildren in the traditional way and just settle down with someone of the opposite gender. I think that is... That is what it is. I don't think it's necessarily just the oh, bisexual people are more promiscuous because I know that's a myth as well and I know that gets thrown around occasionally. But I think it's more just people assume that if you're bisexual, why wouldn't you just opt for an easy life? So if you're looking to settle down with someone, if you're looking for the family and the happily ever after, fine if you just want to sleep around, but if you're looking for that happy ever after, the consensus I feel that has been told to me is don't do it with someone who's bisexual. Have you directly seen bisexual women suffer biphobia or is it is it sort of more subtle? Well, yeah, as I said, my friend that it happened to who, who had friends stopped talking to her, you know, because she, you know, later in life came out as bisexual. You know, she was probably had more relationships with women. Um, so 100% I've seen, I've seen it people suffering biophobia who who are women she said to me she's in her 60s now and said to me I think I'm bisexual I was like do you really (laughs) worked it out now you're in your 60s (laughs) (laughs) but that's the issue isn't it there's a lot of people who are older 50s 60s 70s whatever who have kept their their lives probably fairly compartmentalized and they get to a certain age and they realize actually I am whatever bisexual gay whatever and they suddenly you know they jump out of this box and unfortunately they don't necessarily know what the consequences of jumping out of the box are do they sometimes yeah and i think for a lot of people as well certainly women that I've dated you know sometimes they get put into the bisexual box just because they've had relationships with men in the past and had children because that was what was expected of people i'm talking about people a bit older than my generation maybe you know and i've certainly dated women in that situation where They've gone. They've probably known that they were gay or bisexual, but gone along with the heteronormative and met a male partner and had children and settled down. And then it was a bit later in life that they went, this actually isn't me. I'm going to go and get myself a girlfriend <laughs> um, and probably get tarnished with the label bisexual just because people know that they've been married and had kids and that's what they've done. Do you think there is also an issue around, because bisexuality among men is seen in a particular way, and I say it tends to be that thing of, oh, the buy, buy now, gay tomorrow kind of thing. With women, it's accepted a little bit more, but it tends, tends to be accepted by society as a whole, more from the perspective of, of a sort of male fetish kind of thing. You know, people think of women together, oh, it's a bit of fun for the blokes to think about. And that, God, that yeah. do, you, do you think, because there is that, that sort of, there's that thought, I think, sometimes that women are more are more tactile with other women than men are with men. And therefore, the chances are that women are just going to enjoy themselves and whatever. Do you know what I mean? Do you think, do you think there's a bit of that around as well, that people think that it's just, it's just a bit of fun as opposed to something that's, that, that bisexual, I think bisexual women find it difficult to be taken seriously is what I'm trying to say, I suppose. 
Yeah, I'm sure they do, and in the same way that lesbians have been not really been taken seriously since day one and ignored historically. And you know, it's if there are two famous lesbians, they you know they'll be written down in history as being friends, or you know, <laughs> people that just grew old together and lived with their cats. You know, it's just a, we're just erased out of history, aren't we? In the same way we've been erased from being legislated against. It's never been illegal to have a lesbian relationship in this country, but it has been illegal to be a gay man in this country. You know, we're just sort of whitewash from history aren't we really as lesbians and bi women really so i think there is definitely a lot of that for, for bisexual women as well it's you know it's it's by erasure you talk about don't you in your community it's just well i'm dying to know now forgotten aren't you i'm dying to know now emma i know you've got a dog have you got a cat as well no i haven't i've got a dog and a baby i'm not that stereotypical <laughs> i've never had a cat good i've good never stuff. had my pets i've never i've never been responsible enough to have my own pets <laughs> now i've got so, a child so here we are, two of us who are representative in a way of, of the LGBT community in our own ways. We've got podcasts, we've you know, we've been around quite a bit, we've we've done things, you know, supported the community, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. We've seen it close up, how it works and whatever. What do you think needs to be done to, to sort of you know enable people and enable more gay women and gay men to really understand what bisexuality is about? Because we call it the LGBT community, but it feels to me for a lot of people, the B is just an afterthought. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think the B gets forgotten. And it's funny, isn't it? Because certainly on my podcast, Coming Out Stories, I try and be as reflective of the community as possible. And yet I found very few Bs. You'll have to come on my podcast. We'll have to we'll have to swap places because, you know, I've got a few. I've got a couple of high profile ones like Joe Lysett came on the podcast, although he does more identify as being pansexual. Um but I, I've struggled to find bees to be interviewed on my podcast because there aren't many that raise their head above the parapet and are out and proud as bisexuals like everyone on your podcast. And they really are few and far between, which is ludicrous when you look at the statistics. You know, there are, there are much more of you. And you're the silent majority somehow, aren't you? You really are hiding in plain sight. Yeah. <laughs> you must be. Yeah, it's, 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 it's ridiculous, really, because we have people contacting us. Often, actually, people contact us and they're not necessarily wanting to be completely open straight away. But within a very short space of time, they realise, actually, you know what? You know, sod this, I want to talk about it. And, and, and it's great that they do. And we get people from all over the world. But sometimes there are people who have come across bisexual brunch and they've set, they've opened them up about being so bisexual for the first time because they've only just realised they are because they've not actually heard the word bisexual. Certain people in certain parts of the world have never actually heard the word bisexual, even mentioned. Do you know what I mean? Really? So, and now, now that's not the, well, that's not the, that's not the case. That's not the case in this country. We know that, that people know what bisexual yeah. is, but let's face it. There's not a great deal of coverage around bisexuality. Is there really? No, no, there really isn't. And, you know, I mean, maybe it has to go back to, to school and education. I mean, I know, you know, it's a million, million miles removed from what it was in the 80s. This When I went to school, it was pre-Section 28. So they didn't need Section 28 when I was at school because nobody mentioned being gay ever in the classroom. You know, it just you know, didn't exist. You know, if you had sex education, it was just, this is how you get pregnant. This is how you avoid getting pregnant. And, you know, I know it's yeah, a lot I'm more saying the same now, thing with me because we're roughly the same age, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Didn't need it, did we? Did not need Section 28 no. to come along. But anyway, thank you for no. that, Thatcher. Um, 
So, I mean, I don't know, I don't have my finger on the pulse enough to know exactly what is being taught in schools. But at primary school, you know, they are being taught now, aren't they, about, it's not sex education because children at that age don't need to necessarily know about sex, but it's about learning about different family groups, isn't it? But it's about learning about different opportunities for yourself in terms of relationships when you get older. And, and that could be appropriate to teach to primary school children. And, you know, there's a lot more books and literature around now. And I know because I've got a child and I've been to Queer Lit in the Northern Quarter in Manchester and I've been sent plenty of books for, you know, babies and young children. And there's plenty of books on, you know, growing up with two dads or growing up with two mummies. But um, I don't remember seeing any about bisexuals. So maybe there's a gap in the market there. I might be wrong, but, you know, I think it needs education about different relationships and different ways about living your life needs to be available to primary school kids really now in terms of people you know who are bisexual obviously there's all those women that you dated who are bisexual um but all have those you got women. there's quite have, a lot of them to be fair yeah <laughs> that long list emma long list of uh... <laughs> I can um, barely remember them all. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. I'm not going to test you on all the names, don't worry. No, please don't. Please don't. No. What about? Um, but, but, but do you know? Do you know? Apart from you know the people um, who are presenting this podcast, myself and Lewis and whatever. Uh, do you know? Do you have any friends who are bisexual? I do. Yes. Um, and do they? Their lives are think. they quite complicated? I can think of three off the top of my head of my friends who are bisexual. So, oh, I know I'm not even included you on that. I'll include you on that. That's four. So there you go. I know at least four bisexuals. <laughs> and and are they, have they got complicated lives? No. Oh, there you go. There you go. I wouldn't say so. Yeah. yeah, there you go. I wouldn't say so. Like, now, you, you don't have a complicated life, do you? you no, just go no. About your and most people and would assume that I was, was gay because I've been in a relationship with a gay man for... A long time, yeah. do you know what I mean? But that's the partly the problem, I think, is that people assume that who you're with, because you're with a man or you're with yes. a woman, they'll they define you well, that way. That's the problem. I mean, we met through work years ago, didn't we? And yeah. I just assumed that you were a gay man, I think, until the day, and I still remember it, when you told me that you fancied Sharon from EastEnders and nearly <laughs> fell over backwards and then you fell off the chair in the newsroom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, she's looking great at the moment, actually. She's in her fifties now, so let's big, big it up for the yeah, older woman. Yeah, she will be. <laughs> Yay! Well, women get more attractive the older they get, I think. Yeah. In my well, opinion, obviously, <laughs> said a lesbian. <laughs> said a lesbian. Well, it's lovely. It's been lovely to chat to you. I mean, it, it, it's interesting that these prejudices still exist in 2023, because you you do find it quite. I find it quite shocking that. A community in inverted commas, because I'm not sure it is necessarily a community. It's a disparate, disparate bunch of lots of different people, obviously, who don't necessarily have lots of things in common apart from sexuality. But um, it, I do find it shocking in 2023 that 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 kind of prejudice still exists. You know, you would have thought that yeah. the that gay men and lesbian, you know, everybody would have actually accepted these things by now. Um, and I'm sure it strange. is. I'm sure it is getting better. And and some of those examples of mine were from a few years ago. And you know, I mean, and I haven't heard it myself. But that might be just because you know, for the last four years, I've been dating someone that's never had sex with a man and is definitely a lesbian. So I I personally <laughs> haven't faced any prejudice in the last four years. But that's not to say it's not out there. I'm sure it still is. You know, which is why you need to keep on doing what you're doing with this brilliant podcast and 
keep talking about all the issues and dispelling all those myths because I the think the one thing still that there. gets confusing with people though, I think which is a bit stupid really is because we talk about we t- we're talking a lot these days about non-binary and trans and all that kind mm. of thing which I have no problem with at all I think it's great and actually there's a lot of trans people and non-binary people who happen to be bisexual there's a, there's actually yeah. a, there's, there's some natural allies in that that community but it is quite annoying that the media, and you'll have come across this, the media gets confused. It doesn't really understand the difference between gender and sexuality, does it? Which no, is quite... how, is that, how is that confusing? Gender and sexuality have never been the same and they never will be. So it's, yeah, it's bonkers, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But people, people, get it, people get it confused and quite senior reporters and people in quite mainstream media get it confused. And you think this is just not... You know, where are we going with this? Do you know what I mean? Um, well, I think because some, some people who are cisgendered and straight just have never had to think about these issues and just haven't educated themselves about some fundamentals, basically. And it's yeah, obvious absolutely. to us because we've spent a lot of our lives thinking about it and wondering about it and wanting full equality for ourselves and everyone else in the community. And if you're not part of it and it doesn't affect your lives, I think people are just floating around being incredibly ignorant and sometimes they end up in high power positions in the media sadly exactly one final question on that topic for a second just to get your your take on it Mm. um obviously the trans community have had a lot of um hassle recently a lot of prejudice i mean i think it's absolutely awful what they've been going through um and yet there is a certain amount of women straight and gay women in certain circumstances Mm -hmm. who have raise this whole issue of whether or not a, a trans woman is a woman or not and all the rest of it. And and oh, I find it quite shocking because... I find it quite shocking, yeah, because the, the, the whatever the issues, trans women are such a tiny minority of people. To think that there's a mm-hmm. trans woman in every, in every toilet about to attack somebody, it seems absolutely ridiculous, doesn't it? It's absolutely ludicrous and it makes me incredibly sad and I'm definitely an L that stands with the T and I think I actually had a T-shirt that said that. Um, and, it, and what is more common now is that actually lesbians, you know, who have got short hair like myself and might be slightly butch, are getting thrown out of toilets or questioned when they're going to the bathroom because people, some people, are so paranoid about these so-called trans women who are a threat, which is a total myth that again has been perpetuated in the mainstream media and on social media that you know there are so many cases where lesbians have been thrown out of toilets or or physically and verbally abused by other women just for trying to go to the bathroom I mean the world has gone absolutely fucking bonkers hasn't it it really has it's I thought in the 1990s when I was in my early 20s I thought because it felt to me as though we were getting progress then. And I thought to myself, actually, in 20, 30 years' time, none of these issues will matter. It'll be so, so liberal. And every, and actually, yeah. we've gone backwards, haven't we? We've gone backwards. You know. We have. Sometimes it does feel like that in our community. One step forward, two steps back. But I think if you're in the trans community, it's one step forward and five steps back, isn't it? There is a lot of work yeah, to be done. There really is. Well, solid, solidarity with the trans community. There you go. Oh, 100%. We all have to stand with our trans and non-binary brothers and sisters and members of our community don't we we absolutely do because absolutely they are the Fantastic. ones that were fighting for us going back to stonewall and other civil uprisings they were there at the forefront so we need to be there for them now 100 percent. absolutely emma it's been lovely to talk to you to find out what the trouble with lesbians is 
<laughs> I'm not the first lesbian you've had on the podcast. Um, we've had we have bisexual women on, but we've not, I don't think we've had a, no, I don't think we've ever had a lesbian on. In fact, we've probably never had a gay man on because. And I, but I think it, I think it's important to oh. start having people on who got a different. We need to understand where people yeah. are coming from. We need to get it, you know, and work out what the issue is, don't we? Really? Yeah. That's great. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Keep up the good work with bisexual brunch. Emma Goswell there, and we'd love to hear from more people on the other side, as it were. If you're a gay man, a gay woman, a straight man or woman, and you're dating a bisexual, drop us a line to info at madeinmanchester.tv or send us a direct message on Twitter. And in fact, we are interested in hearing from couples too, especially bi people in relationships with other bi people. It seems like the ideal situation, doesn't it? (laughs) If you're in a 100% bi relationship, very lucky, do please get in touch with us. So coming up, we've got our interview with Vineet Mehta about his groundbreaking new book, Bisexual Men Exist. Before that, we have our bisexual journey story. And this time, it's from Reading. You're listening to the Bisexual Brunch Podcast. We continue our personal journey stories and this time we're joined by a journalist called Rebecca Cox who writes for various uh, publications. I'll get her to tell you all about that in a second. But um, recently wrote uh, quite an interesting article in the London Evening Standard about the whole issue of being uh, bisexual. Rebecca, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Before we get into the detail of bisexuality and your story and all the rest of it, just tell us a bit about what you do. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I So I've been a journalist for over 15 years. Um, I've written on various topics, um, fashion, beauty, celebrity, lifestyle, all sorts. Um, and I became a single mum about six years ago. Um, and that was the first time I kind of started writing more personal pieces. Um, I've always just kind of, you know hopped from topic to topic learning a little bit writing about it but I've never felt the need to really put insert myself into my work Um, and then when I became a single mum it felt like I had a kind of issue to comment on um, that was useful and um, started receiving lots of messages about that work Um, and then when I started dating and I'm bisexual and it was the first time I'd dated um, within the queer world because my um, my husband my ex-husband was my first ever partner. So I'd only been in a straight relationship to that point. I immersed myself in the queer world for the first time and started experiencing all the issues that the bisexual community face um, and the LGBT community at large. Um, And again, felt like I I wanted to start writing about those issues that I was experiencing and, and and felt comfortable putting my story out there. And I mean, I I have a relatively nice life. Um, all the challenges of, of most single parents. Um, but I felt like I was in a comfortable position to be able to explore some of those issues and not put myself at risk. Um, and since I have been writing about them, I've had so many messages and so much connection from other members of the bisexual community that... I just as as any any time anyone will give me a platform, then then I love to accept it. Basically, okay. Well, we're talking a bit about the article you wrote the other day, but also uh, about the bigger picture. But did you feel more comfortable? Do you think 
being able to talk now at your age, as it were, you know, in your late 30s, about the issue of your sexuality. So obviously you were in a long-term relationship for quite a long time. You've now decided, you know, you've come out of and, and started talking about your sexuality. What I'm, I suppose what I'm trying to say is, do you think you would have been able to, would you have felt as comfortable about it all 10 years ago, 20 years ago, as you do now, or do you think actually this is the right moment, as it were? Um, um, that's really interesting because I don't know that I necessarily feel comfortable talking about it now, um, per se. I think it's not. I don't find it comfortable to to kind of speak to 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 put myself out there in any way, really. Um, but the sense of kind of connection that you that you're able to to get from doing that I think has I've already experienced that through the work that I've done on single parenting in a way that I felt it would be helpful but I don't think I would have had the confidence probably in my late teens early 20s and certainly when I was starting out in journalism I wouldn't have felt that I was able to to give my opinion on any of these things and it's not that I necessarily feel qualified honestly to give my opinion on things now I think it's just understanding the value of any kind of platform to to raise these issues and that you might not believe that what you have to say is valid but actually if it resonates with even one other person and it makes one other person feel more seen and more connected then it's actually worth it even if it makes you feel slightly uncomfortable but do you think back then 10 years ago 20 years ago do you think you understood and acknowledged yourself your your identity as it were your bisexuality no no No. um I knew I I knew that I was attracted to men and women but because I didn't really I had a male partner my first partner was was my ex-husband so I I just allowed that to be my story that I had uh that I was straight and that I had a male partner I yes I found women attractive but I just thought that's normal straight people do that um I I I I, I probably did privately identify as bisexual and had and my closest friends I would talk about you know my attraction to to women and crushes that I had on people but I don't think I would I don't think I felt the need really to kind of dig into that and that be a part of my identity and I think it would have been probably more challenging at that kind of age to have the confidence to to express myself in that way do you think it would have been different say if there had been more um i don't know bisexual role models or there'd been talk about but more bisexuality at you know at school in education or whatever do you think the if it was on the more on the radar do you think you'd have maybe yes. explored it more yes. yeah yes definitely and i think i think honestly the conversations that are happening now, the kind of landscape as it is, the the it's kind of you know, it's so much more accepted to be queer, and I think that word queer itself has a completely different meaning, obviously, to when to when I was at school. It's it's much more of a kind of all encompassing umbrella term that people are able to use to express themselves and say actually I'm not straight I'm queer you don't necessarily have to dig into exactly what that means for you Um, and it can be used as much 
more of a positive expression. Um, but yeah, when I was at school, I, I definitely wouldn't have felt comfortable saying to any of my school friends, I'm not straight. Um, and people that kind of were visibly not straight would be the butt of the joke in a way that I I like to hope wouldn't be happening to the same extent now. And I hope that my son will not experience that happening around him um, in his school. But I, I'm sure I'm sure he will to some degree. Yeah, it's going to take a long time, isn't it? It's something that will be under the surface probably for quite a long time. So, so you've got this newfound sort of, you know, identity you've explored you're exploring yourself and all the rest of it since you finished your main you know big relationship with your your husband um what have you because obviously you were in a situation where you were everyone thought you were heterosexual and whatever what have you discovered along the way what have you what, what's what's been your experience of putting your head above the parapet and and sort of declaring or at least acknowledging your bisexuality well i think Part of my privilege is that I have, I work in the media. I've got a really diverse friendship group. Um, My closest friends, I I mostly am in and around London for work and all my friends live in London. So I've got lots and lots of queer friends and that makes being queer so much easier. Um, And that's not to say that within the queer community, um, as I know that you discuss a lot on the show, there, there's enormous biphobia and bi-erasure within the queer community as well. And we have these discussions within our friendship group. But I think even having any kind of in with that world makes it enormously, so much easier to be able to say, actually, this is a part of myself and this is something that I want to explore and it means that you don't have to go against kind of if I'd have come out of a straight marriage and I had only straight friends and I worked in an industry that was largely populated by straight people to be able to say to anybody, I'm now dating a woman would have been much, much more of an issue. I've got my family are incredibly accepting and it didn't feel like that was going to be something that they were shocked about um but having said that when I then started a relationship with my ex-girlfriend I did have that conversation with my mum at the age of however old I was 34 years old or whatever saying to my mum like oh by the way I've got a girlfriend now um and having to gear yourself up for that kind of conversation as a 34 year old mother was a bit odd um but yeah I think uh, because I have I have found this whole journey relatively easy and I haven't experienced that kind of torment that so many of my friends have gone through in their younger years um, to, to accept themselves and to be accepted. I think that's why I feel really strongly that if there is something I can contribute to the conversation to make things easier for other people, then of course I would love to be able to do that. And are people accepting you as bisexual or do you find that people just think oh oh she's decided she's you know she's actually after all she's she's gay um yes some people definitely think that and yes some people just think that I'm having like a post-divorce 
crisis of exploration and I think it's something I know I've heard you talk about with the kind of the phase thing the experimenting thing and I think um the the most recent piece that I wrote for the evening standard I felt really strongly that I wanted to address the topic of people referring to bisexuality as a phase because it's just so dismissive and I think a lot of the issues that face the bisexual community when it comes to bierasia particularly I think people think that they're not that much of a big deal because there are bigger there are bigger issues affecting the LGBTQ plus community as a whole and I am an ally to all members of the queer community I I understand that there are life-threatening issues facing certain certain members of the community and I understand there's not a direct comparison between someone being a bit dismissive or making fun of you because they think you're going through a phase or you can't make your mind up or whatever it is but I don't think people understand the accumulative effect of being the butt of the joke every day or having your identity questioned every day or your partner that you're trying to form a relationship with making fun of your sexuality and those things really do add up and even if you're someone who feels very confident in yourself and you've done lots of work and you've had therapy and you feel able to kind of soak up a lot of that criticism you do still have to carry the weight of that and you do still have to it kind of it does eventually get to a point where you think maybe maybe I don't know you know maybe I don't know myself you know if if even though every other member of society who identifies as straight or gay is allowed to say this is who I am this is who I like maybe I I shouldn't be able to say that because that's how other people see me yeah, you you start questioning yourself, don't you? Completely, it's it's ridiculous, really. And you, you forever the thing about being bisexual, you're forever having to come out and explain it all the time. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, there's so yeah. many, there's only so many ways you could explain it, really, isn't there? Let's face it. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about <laughs> the the dating side of things then? With other when you've started dating same sex people, the women, have you um, have you dated other bisexual women or or, or lesbians? Both. Um, and it is a different experience with with dating someone bisexual or dating someone who is lesbian, obviously. I think to have the lack of um, of biphobia, suspicion, I, you don't get asked the same questions. If I'm dating, and I, again, I don't want to generalise because I, I don't want, as much as I wouldn't want someone to generalise about all bisexual people, there are many, many, many members of the lesbian community who are completely accepting of bisexual women. However, I have personally experienced many times over people asking me how many men I've slept with, how many women I've slept with, what do I like about women, why, you know, why would I ever date a man? Lots of these kind of questions. Um, whereas if you're dating a bisexual woman, obviously they're not they don't care about things in the same way and you can have those conversations in a way that's not loaded with somebody who sees the world in the same way as you see the world because for me personally in a technical sense I really should 
be pansexual because for me it's not that I'm attracted to men, I'm attracted to women. I just find the gender of my partner not particularly important. So to have all these kind of questions around men and women and what the differences are and what do I like about them, what do I not like about them, it just feels kind of like you're tr- I'm trying to, that someone's trying to trick me and the trick's just not there. It's like I, it's, that's just not important to me. Yeah, no, I get, I get that. I, I mean, I, we're all embracing with the with the pan community as well because you know I think it's an umbrella, yeah. isn't it? They're both both really very yeah. related in a, in a way when you yeah. think about it. Yeah. Um, so pan and buy, it's all one thing as far as I'm concerned. But um, no, that, that's that's interesting. So it's, it's great that you you're in a situation whereby you've 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 sort of you know come to terms with it yourself and you seem to be quite happy and all the rest of it and you've made this stand by writing an article in the evening stand and I think you've written out other articles in the past obviously you're observing it from you know you're trying to observe it I suppose I mean obviously you're not independent because you're bisexual but you, you you you're observing it or trying to observe it a little bit from a, a distance I suppose like we do in a way because we're looking looking at things from you know we're trying to gauge the bigger picture as it were um but you probably find, as the same as we find, and we're all we all work we all work in the media, don't we? That actually getting any traction from anybody to actually write an article, to do a TV program, to make a radio program, to do anything, make a film. I've got an actor friend of mine at the moment is busy trying to get scripts off the ground around bisexuality and whatever. It's a real uphill struggle, isn't it? A real uphill struggle. What's your yeah. experience of that? I think people just have this set idea about what bisexuality is and they just, they don't think it's something worth talking about. I think, as we were saying before, the issue, the issues facing the bisexual community, I think are seen as not quite extreme enough to warrant attention and the kind of concept of bisexuality in terms of the deviation from the norm of heterosexuality is not quite enough to make it interesting or I I don't know I think it's honestly I think it's kind of seen by a lot of people as this transient stage of being it's like you're the in-between and how do you really define that how do you make a story out of that how do you put your finger on what it means to be bisexual is it something you can really explain that you can really relate to perhaps not so we'll just kind of put it to one side and not really think about it but I mean we we know from what vague research has been done that actually bisexuality is probably the largest group of the queer community and honestly there's probably lots and lots more bisexual people out there that don't identify as bisexual or don't feel able to identify as bisexual and I think it's something really, really important to be to be represented. And I can't understand why. It's not like it's a new thing. And it's not like it's something that people haven't historically spoken about as being a completely normal way to live. You know, you've got people like Freud talking about everyone being born bisexual. It's not it's not like a weird wacky concept so I don't understand why there is so little representation of the bisexual community out there in the media yeah it's strange isn't it and I you know obviously been doing bisexual brunch for several years now and I've identified as bisexual for quite a long time and my partner is um is gay and is okay about it um but I haven't I still haven't got 
masses of people who I know who I could go and sit and chat to and talk about I don't know anything by history by culture I mean what is by culture we don't we don't really know because we don't have a voice do we really we've not explored it really no. so there's so much out there that is 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 there to be explored isn't there so somebody somewhere you know the powers that be in the media or whatever should be looking down and thinking actually you know what this is a huge area with a potentially huge population of people not just in the UK and the US and whatever but all around the world are completely untapped in, you know, not been tapped into really yeah. so uh, we'll Definitely. have to keep pushing on that but your article recently in the evening standard you were trying to you you, you were making a point where you about the, the 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 isolation and the 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 fact that by people are often questioned and whatever. What, remind us a little bit more about the article. I know you told me a bit already. Remind us a bit more about the article, mm -hmm. but also tell us what response you've had from that. Yeah, so I think that the main thing that I wanted to talk about was the fact that bisexuality is not a phase in the way that it is often painted as a phase, as an experimentation. I think it's interesting talking about the kind of representation of bisexuality in the media. And obviously, as a woman, I'm often viewing that through a female lens. And bisexual women usually are presented in media as being promiscuous. It's kind of a, you're easy, you're experimenting in the bedroom. Threesomes are always the, the go-to for bisexual women. It's like, right, if, you, if you're on an a kind of straight dating app and you're bisexual you're going to be asked for a threesome more often than you're asked what you do for a living and I think that that's that's again that's something that just kind of nags at you and gets to you and I really just wanted to because it was pride and because so much of the conversation is celebrating other areas of the queer community I just wanted to use the opportunity to say, actually, bisexuality is valid. It's not a phase. It's it's who I am. And as many people as tell me it's not real, I want other bisexual people to feel that they are allowed to be bisexual. They don't have to decide that they're straight or gay just because that's what other people expect of them. Um, and so, yeah, in the article, I've kind of listed a few of the comments that have been made to me over the bearing in mind I've only been out as bisexual for about four years so in that short space of time the comments that have been made to me um I've quoted my absolute favorite dating app profile that I've ever seen with the entire profile was no single mums no buys um which as someone who was just fresh back on the dating scene I was like that feels kind of personal but okay each to their own and just basically a message to anyone that was reading the article that if you're bi-curious, because again, the, the term bi-curious, I think, gets such a bad rap and people feel like they're not allowed to identify as bisexual until they've had a partner of both sexes. And I just think that's absolute nonsense. If, you're, if you have an attraction to people of different genders, then you are bisexual and you're allowed to identify as bisexual. You're, frankly, you're allowed to identify by whatever you want to identify by. But I think that there's so many people out there who see themselves as bisexual, but don't feel, they don't feel like they're allowed to be admitted into the queer community until they've had a same-sex partner and they've had a same-sex relationship or they've had a long-term same-sex relationship. And it's like these barriers to entry that 
it just felt like Pride was a really important time to say to people, you are allowed to be bisexual, you are allowed to be queer, and you're welcome in the queer community just just because you, other people don't understand your identity. It's enough that you have decided that's your identity and you're allowed to be proud of it. Yeah, I wonder how many people are listening to this who are bisexual uh, in the UK, in America, all around the world, and I get confused with what Pride is supposed to be these days. At one time it used to be just one day, now it's like it feels yeah. like half the year. Yeah. I don't quite understand it. <laughs> yeah, it's but, yeah, it's forever. <laughs> but, but what I mean is I wonder how many people who are bi really connect with it at all because it doesn't seem to reach out to the to by people in any way shape or form from what I can see really do you, do you think no I, th- I think you're absolutely right I think you've it's gay pride and then it's trans pride um and I understand the need to separate those because we are at a time um for the trans community of needing to protest and I think I mean, honestly, there's always something to protest for the whole queer community. But I think having that separate trans event makes absolute sense. But then I think there's Bi Pride in September. Um, But again, it's such a kind of tiny side event that everyone's over Pride by then. And it's like, you're right, it's just always seen as kind of a, I don't know, like a sister that we never talk about that's like just don't look at the bisexuals they're not really and, with and us also, I don't know if you've experienced this as being somebody who's a, you know a journalist and covering these things I've often you know dipped into these sort of bi events and some of them are quite academic-y or geeky or and, and I'm not saying anything against academics nothing against geeky people or whatever but um you know we're all geeky in our own different ways but I often feel as though they're a little bit um, on the edge, as it were, in, in the sense I don't, I cannot see for the life of me a lot of people who happen to be bi or maybe in a straight relationship but want to explore their bisexuality or whatever. I can't see them engaging with it. Do you know what I mean? Because it yeah, feels a bit, it feels nice. a bit, um, I don't know, it feels a bit specialist. It does feel very specialist in a way that actually being bisexual should be incredibly mainstream because it's kind of access to all areas of of the community and the straight community. And it's like, I think that's part of the problem is that feeling of we're not really wanted here. We're not really wanted there. I think um, I've heard it said, um, but I can't remember who it was. You had a fantastic interviewee who was saying, actually straight people see you as gay and gay people see you as straight and you're kind of there in this like well where do we fit in then um and how do you celebrate that in an event because personally I think the great thing about the bisexual community is it is so diverse it's not just men it's not just women it's not just people who are super camp or people who are who who mostly identify as straight and then dip their toe in occasionally I think it, it really can be anyone and everyone but then it's like how do you create this kind of how do you encapsulate that culture in an event or a space or a you know I would love to see bisexual bars bisexual dating apps I think the reason your show is so great is because there are shared topics that bisexual people I mean obviously the topic of bisexuality fantastic but there's people I think have a, a curious nature. If you're bisexual, you're you have to be by design slightly more open minded. 
um, which is a beautiful thing. And it's a, a great space to create interesting cultural events and work from. Yeah, I mean, I think our mission needs to be just to get more bi people together, isn't it, really? You know, more, more bi people talking and communicating and conversing with each other. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, talking to you now and you, you say you, you've dated other um, bi women, which is interesting because I don't think we've had many uh, people on the show have actually talked about identity, you know, dating another bi person of the same sex. But it'd be interesting actually to hear from. There must be people out there. I think we did have one from America, one couple from America, where it was a bi man and a bi woman, and they'd been together for twenty odd years, and they'd only only found out years later they were both bisexual, which is interesting in itself. But again, you know, you can imagine that kind of relationship would be really interesting to explore i don't mean necessarily sexually but i mean in terms of just just in terms of their identity generally wouldn't it you know what i mean i would love to meet more bisexual people but i mean interestingly on apps where you can kind of i mean I, i don't really use dating apps that much i much prefer meeting people in real life um but on dating apps where you can put your sexuality i've not really seen i think i've maybe seen one bisexual man um and i i I don't know. I, I obviously can't speak for for bisexual men, but I think there is probably more stigma attached to bisexuality for men. But I think, in a way, that's because people see bisexual women as just going through a phase. Bit of fun, isn't it? Seems a bit of fun. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my experience of, of things like Tinder and uh, Grinder, the two sort of main main ones, is that. Um, having dipped in and out of them occasionally, <laughs> um, is that, um, and that's all I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> um, no no um, is that I think the issue with Tinder is that uh, there are bi men who, some bi men will put that head above the parapet, but very rarely. But I think, I think their worry is that as it's mainly straight people, they're worried about putting off the women. Because a lot of there are a lot of straight women who, are, who don't like the idea of dating a bi man, so they're worried about that. But then the issue on the on Grinder is, you find that actually a lot of people do declare their bisexuality, but they're very very secretive in the sense they don't show the picture. You know, the the, the conversation can be quite sort of you know stilted, and they're, they're very coy about what they say and all the rest of it. So they're not having proper conversations it's often cloak and dagger kind of thing you know what I mean yeah. and that's that's the yeah. issue isn't it and I think my I mean I think younger people are getting better at this but it, it's it, I still think the young men by men who, who do struggle and and same with by women um but my worry is the people who are much older who are getting into their 50s and 60s and suddenly they decide right actually you know what I need to do something about this. I have to jump out of the closet. And they jump out of the closet at 55, 60, or whatever it is. They're jumping out of the closet. And they're suddenly like teenagers. And they and then they end up doing stupid things. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> because they're acting like teenagers. Because what they've not gone through what they should have gone through years ago. Yeah. And, and there's all yeah. those mental health issues that come out about that. And you see lots of stories in the news. And there's been various scandals recently or whatever. And you hear people and you hear the news talking about people being gay. And you think to yourself, actually, do you know what? They might have been bisexual, actually. But you've not thought about that. You've not even considered that as an option. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's that's something that I kind of explored a bit in the article is the there's no representation there's very limited representation of bisexuality um amongst public figures and often it's later attracted for a more binary label of I actually was gay and I was just 
kind of experimenting under the label of bisexuality. And I think, and and I actually have several gay or lesbian friends who who did the same thing they as a teenager they said they identified as bisexual and then they decided actually no I only want same-sex partners now therefore I'm gay and I think that's completely a valid experience to think something and then to change your mind but I think the problem is if when you're representing an entire sexuality only in that way and that's the only kind of airtime that bisexuality is given as this kind of transition period it means that when you are kind of certain in your identity as being bisexual, other people won't accept that because they've never seen that given as an option. And I think, as you said, that that doesn't give much space to people who are in a same-sex relationship or have only had same-sex relationships, but they've got this feeling that maybe there's something else. They're told that they actually must be gay. They're not given an option of what you're, what this relationship you're having is valid maybe you're also just having feelings for the same sex. And it's like, that's completely valid as an entire identity. But when you're only given the narrative of actually you're being repressed and you must be gay because that this is the story we've seen happen, that can actually, as you said, cause you lots and lots more problems well and then you get people who aren't open to their wives or whatever i mean and you get you get the you know the divorces and the but there are you know that that's quite and, and you know you've only got to look back at the past you know you've got oscar wilde for heaven's sake it was obvious that oscar wilde was bisexual for heaven's sake you know in very maybe in varying degrees but he loved his wife they had a relationship they had kids there was there was obviously a sexual relationship there at some point uh and he also had obviously you know gay lovers as well and, but he's always labeled gay he's never labeled bisexual but i think that's because people are so reductive about sexuality and they literally reduce it down to the person that you're having sex with when actually relationships are so much more than just sex and i think it's of course you can be in love with somebody in a different way of course you can have lust for somebody else of course you can feel a deep friendship with somebody like these are all valid forms of relationship and expressions of your sexuality and I think people are so crude when it comes to categorizing somebody by their sexuality by the person that they fancy it's like really that's relationships are a lot more than that and to say that because somebody wanted to have sex with a same-sex partner a, a deep marriage and love they had with somebody else is completely invalidated is it's just wrong to me yeah, and let's face it, when it comes to um, sex and relationships, if you're in a long-term relationship with anybody, after so many years, the sex becomes less... It's the least important thing in the relationship, yeah. really, at the end of the day, yeah. isn't it? You know what I mean? And you're going to fancy someone else, probably, at some point. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. If, you, you know, if, if the lifespan for most people is 80 to 100 years or whatever, the chances are, at some point, you're going to fancy somebody else. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, I mean, my my partner's had a few crushes on various people over the years, and it, you know, I'm 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 quite happy uh, with that. Yeah. It's not a big deal, you know what I mean. No. But of course, people have a problem with these things. People, well, historically, we still have a problem generally with with relationships and sex, don't we? We, we haven't we haven't really got beyond the Victorian era, have we, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think people also equate bisexuality with non monogamy a lot of the time, and I ha- I hear that discussion happening all the time. Is like, well, if you're bisexual, then you can't be monogamous because your partner can never satisfy you. And it's like, but if you're straight, 
there are still millions of other if I'm if I'm a straight woman, there's still millions of other men walking around. If I'm a, a lesbian, there's still millions of other women walking around. I'm not suddenly blind to all of those just because I've got a partner. But it's it's no different. I don't I don't understand this kind of like well if I'm if I'm with a man, then I must have this insatiable urge to also be with a woman. It's like it doesn't really work like that. No, absolutely. I mean, yeah, there are bi people who who are interested in you know threesomes, foursomes, whatever. But there are equally as many gay men and and straight men and straight women and what are the same. In fact, I know lots of gay men who are well, not probably not now. They've got a bit older. But when they were younger, were very promiscuous. Do you know what I mean? So they, they, you know, you can't just label a whole sexuality as being you know the, the, the same thing, which is which is it is, it is ridiculous. So. Well, it's great to talk to you, Rebecca, and to, great that you did that article in the in the Evening Standard. What response did you get? Um, the, I've written on bisexuality um, a number of times over the last few years, and I've always had messages from strangers online just saying thank you. Um, you know, i've I've had I've had some people saying thank you for writing what I can't articulate. Or thank you, I've been able to pass this on to a friend to explain how I feel or to explain how they're making me feel. Um, I actually had a really, really lovely message um, from one reader who said that their mum had come out later in life and that my article had made her her be able to connect with her mum in a much kind of more open way and that it had made her mum feel less guilty I think because I'm a mum um and they kind of had that that feeling of connection um so I've had I've luckily I've had nothing but positive feedback um and honestly anything negative I don't read comment sections on anything that I do um and negativity has thankfully stayed away um so yeah I've just had a really lovely positive response from from the bisexual community we talk we're talking about it being a community but as we both know it's very difficult to say what that community is it's not tangible is it we can't really touch it can we really i think we need to collectively you know those of us who are working in the bisexual the the tiny bisexual media the people who are putting the letter above the parapet which we are i think we need to try and find a way of um getting more bi people together i don't know what it is yet but we need to find a way don't we we've got to do something you know, yeah. um, we need to get people connecting much more. I mean, it's all right doing it on bisexual brunch and doing it virtually and people sending messages online. And, you know, yeah. you see a lot more of that now, don't you? Social media yeah. and all the rest of it. I mean, there's, there are on Facebook, there's several places where you can talk about being bisexual and whatever. But people need to connect, don't they? I mean, human beings need to connect. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. And you need to be amongst people that validate you. You need to be amongst people that you feel the same as. I think whoever you are, whatever your group, being amongst your people makes you feel seen and it makes you feel heard and it makes you feel accepted. And I think that that's really lacking for the bisexual community. Rebecca Cox, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Thank you so much. Ah, that was Rebecca. Wasn't she lovely? Well, staying on the same theme, really, we were talking there, uh, me and Rebecca, about um, community and about connecting and all that kind of thing. Now, one of the things that uh, we're supposed to connect uh, with every year is pride. But has pride sort of passed its sell-by date in some ways? Is it still connecting with people? I mean, I remember 
um, my first sort of pride, which wasn't really a pride, it was more of a sort of Mardi Gras, as it were, back in Manchester, back in the 1990s. And it was a sort of ramshackle sort of affair, but it worked and it was fun and it was definitely creating a community spirit. It was lovely, actually. Uh, there wasn't any lots, there wasn't lots of costs. There wasn't, you didn't have to pay for armbands to enter the area, which you do now, I think, in, in Manchester when there's some kind of pride event on. Um, there wasn't as many things happening. There wasn't a fun fair, which I think happens now when Pride's on in Manchester. I've not been to the, some of the other Prides around the country, but I can I gather that's the similar kind of jamboree going on. Um, yeah, it, it, for some, I'm sure it works, but it seems for me to have lost something. And I've sort of lost um, touch as to when it's supposed to be, how long it's supposed to last. I mean, you know, is it is it a month? Is it three months? Is it, I don't know. What what is it? <laughs> when it used to be a day or something shorter, I think it made uh, more impact in many ways. Uh, and then, of course, different parts of the country and different parts of the world, I think, have them at different have pride events at different times. Obviously, Sydney and uh, various prides in in America um, have been around for quite a long time. Um, but now it's an all encompassing thing. But I'm not sure whether I know what it means anymore i mean lewis you're doing a show on uh virgin uh radio uh virgin pride radio or virgin uh radio pride um and um that's lasting for several months until i think the end of end of august sundays on uh on that radio station do tune in to to um um to hear um lewis if you get a chance um but yeah what do we think guys what do you think nikki um you know, do you still go to Pride? Is Pride still a big thing for you? I mean, to some extent, I, you know, I always go to one Pride event. That's always something I do. I'm going to one this year with a mix of bi and straight friends, actually. I mean, for me, the commercialization of Pride is where it's lost its soul. And that's probably the reason it's a month, because actually companies want to maximize profits they can make out of it. And one day or one weekend isn't worth planning for but a month that's different you know so I feel like the, the commercialization of pride has driven that you know driven that that theming I mean I, I I still think it's good to go and good to show up but I agree with you Ash it's you know my very first pride was San Francisco 10 years ago which is you know one of the original prides it's a whole different kettle of fish in terms of authenticity even though obviously that's a very commercial city now the tech community are very important it's been gentrified um, you know, if I go to a Pride event now, I just don't get the same feels as I used to do. I think that it's got anything to do with, you know, I, I think there's a lot of issues to it. I don't think it's one thing, but do you think it's got anything to do with sort of the role text played? Like, Ashley, we were just talking about the 90s, but, you know, now you can open your Instagram and it kind of feels like Pride every day if you're following the right people. And then you're being able to connect with loads of different LGBT people around the world. Why do you need to go to a physical place on a certain day to connect? Is, is there an issue of that? And also, I guess LGBT stuff was never talked about to this extent in the media. But, it, you know, there's, an LGBT, there's definitely a trans story almost every day at the moment. Um, so it's, it's, it almost is like a constant thing, whether from the negative side or the positive side. So, and, you know, so I don't know, is it becoming redundant or does it need to evolve? I, I don't know what it is. I, I think there's another issue as well on, cult, on culture as well, like something like you're doing the uh, radio station uh, with Virgin and that's a particularly ty- particular type of radio station. 
you stay, you say you have the same thing with um, you know, Gadio and whatever. It's all aimed at a particular type of of you know, generally gay man, uh, largely. Um, and it's aimed at particular types of music and whatever. And I do think that is alienating sometimes as well, because obviously being LGBT, we're a broad cross-section of people of different ages, different backgrounds, different interests. And I, I think that's quite concerning as well, that we've not managed to broaden things out a bit more in a way. Um, that there's a Because you know, there are people out there who f- don't feel an affinity with certain things. And, uh, and uh, you know, my partner's like this, you know, feel, feels, you know, sort of alienated by a lot of it, you know. So, and it always has done, not just because he's now, uh, you know, I suppose I, I probably hate me to say this, not because he's now middle-aged, but, you know, when, even when he was young, he felt alienated by, from it, you know what I mean? So I think we do need to do more to make it more inclusive and, and recognise that LGBT people, like everybody else, um, you know, are a rich tapestry of life, you know. Um, I completely agree with you, Ash. It's what I call the kylification of queerness. As in, everyone's got to adore the same pop stars. Everyone's got to listen to the same kind of like house disco tunes. Everyone's got to wear the same kinds of outfits. I mean, yeah, I'm very much with you on that. I mean, I happen to like those things. Yes. But not not wholly, you know, I've got other tastes as well. So, yeah, I very much agree. I was going to be the, what you call it, the contrarian, because I actually do agree with what you both just said, but I guess the, the other thing that I guess is the issue is Pride is trying to represent so many different um, genders and sexualities now and so many different interests that maybe that's also why it's not connected because it's trying to be everything. Whereas I guess before it was like, this is what it is. So I don't know whether that also is one of the factors in it. Not that I'm saying it shouldn't be trying to, you know, represent more people and, and, you know, people of different ages and interests and that kind of thing. But is that also why it's not connected? Because it's, it's now unspecific. Yeah, it could be that. There's also a thing about, you know, a lot of straight people, I know straight couples who are really into supporting the LGBT community, but they take it a little bit too far in the sense they become, how can I put it? This has become their interest in people being LGBT or in drag queens and all these different things becomes a bit of a fetishism for them. You know what I mean? They really are into it, but in a way that you think this is not what, what I don't, don't get this. Do you know what I mean? Do you understand where I'm coming from? It's like a goldfish bowl kind of thing. I think that's about to become a big theme or story over the next few years about allies. Cause we've spoken so much about needing allies. Of course we need allies, but I think there are some, people that would say they're allies that actually take things to an extreme that even the LGBT people would be like, oh no, we're not going that far. Like, you know, and I, I think that there's going to be this issue about non-LGBT people kind of getting involved in stuff and 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 the focus needed to come back to what do LGBT people think. Yeah, that's really interesting. And of course, you see that as well with other communities, actually. You see it where, you know, there's been virtual signaling uh, with other um minority communities out there and there's been a bit of a backlash so yeah absolutely very interesting we'll uh, watch this space on that one well coming up in just a few seconds time we're going to be hearing from Vanit Mehta about his uh, new book Bisexual Men Exist this has been quite a long time in the planning as he'll tell you in a few moments time but there's lots of interesting stuff in this interview Uh, one particular part that I think is very interesting is where Vanit talks to me about how older bisexual people cope with coming out and um, 
you know, it can lead to all sorts of difficult issues. People over 50 um, who suddenly spring out of nowhere and decide that they're going to declare their bisexuality uh, and don't really understand necessarily uh, the consequences. There's no support for them. Um, and the reason I mention this is because we'd like to hear from you because we think this is a particularly underrepresented element um, yeah, bisexuality generally is underrepresented, we know that. Uh, that's one of the reasons we do bisexual brunch. But people who are over 50 in the 60s, 70s, um, even I suppose actually people over 40 in, in many ways, um, are often struggling because they've got established lifestyles um, and then they've suddenly realised they need to confront and deal with their bisexuality in some way, shape or form. And doing that can be a real stress and can cause them complete chaos in their lives. Other people, actually, some people do manage to do it and do manage to do it really well and come out the other side. We'd like to hear from both of you. We'd love to hear from people who've struggled and it's caused them lots of issues and, uh, you know, completely turned their lives upside down. We'd also like to hear from people who've managed a smooth transition into accepting their bisexuality and getting other people to accept it. We'd also like to hear from you if you're um, sort of, you know, still in the closet not sure what to do because there really isn't any support for bi people and we want to try and create a bit of a community and a discussion around this so that we can help people in the future. It's not to say that younger people of course aren't um, in a situation whereby they struggle too. We know that because there's bi erasure everywhere and therefore uh, you know connecting on the issue of bisexuality is an absolute nightmare but we actually think there are a lot of people who are hidden, hidden bisexuals from older generations who we'd like to connect with and we've often said as you know that we think that the bisexual figures are tip of the iceberg well we want to get under the radar and find out what's really going on amongst uh, the older generations so please do get in touch with us if you've um, got experience in that particular area uh, you can contact us at info at um, or you can send us a direct message on twitter and we'll have a chat with you about it uh, please don't worry about um, necessarily thinking you've got to reveal everything you don't have to uh, your stories can be anonymous uh, we can dramatize them if need be with an actor uh, or you can come on and uh, change your name or, or whatever but we'd love to hear from you because we do think there is uh, a story to be told there uh, amongst um, the older generation so please 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 uh, do get in touch anyway <laughs> still to come we've got of course uh, our ask a bisexual story which is a really interesting one uh, today the question really interesting that's coming up later but before that it's Vineet Meta in just a few seconds time <laughs> Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. First of all, I mean, it's great to chat to you um, because the last time we probably chatted was when uh, Bisexual Brunch first started. And yeah, you, and was, you were a guest a on the very ago. first programme. <laughs> and we, we, we've, we've, and most of the people who were guests on the very first programme still, still have a little mention at the beginning of each programme, so you're still there. Um, <laughs> so many years later, which is, which is interesting. Now, while we've not been in touch, you've been busy. So I have been busy. Very busy, I in have. fact. Very busy. It must have taken a lot to put that together. So tell us what your project's been. What's what you know? What were the, what your original plan was? And 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 you know, tell us what uh, what you've managed to uh, produce, and then we'll go on from there. 
Yeah, sure. So, um, I'm sure, I think the last time I came on, I think I spoke about the hashtag that I made, which was Bisexual Men Exist. Um, and I created that in 2019 and then brought it back in 2020, um, which, it, which is when it then trended. Um, and then after that, I started writing a book. So I got reached out to by a publisher, Jessica Kingsley Publishing, who do a lot of work um, on marginalised people within the LGBTQIA plus community. So they focus a lot on, at the time, they were focusing a lot on trans stuff and they still focus a lot on that. But they wanted to diversify a little bit and focus on some bi and some pan and some ace stuff as well. Um, and so they wanted to ask, they asked me if I wanted to write something. And so I pitched the idea of the hashtag that I made, basically, which is Bisexual Men Exist. I really wanted to talk about the structures that exist in society and the way that they specifically impact bisexual men. And you go through that not just by using statistics or data or any of that stuff, but really show the real-life lived experiences. Because I've spoken to loads of bisexual men and they've told me stuff and it's very similar to mine, but sometimes it's it's very different, but it's it's from the same issue. It comes from the same place. And so um, I started that in May 2020 and it only got published recently, which is uh, January 2023. So it was a very long process uh, of writing it and then editing it. Um, I finished writing my my first draft in January 2022. So it shows sort of how long the process is after that of editing and then publicizing it and printing it and all of that. Um, and the way that the book is, is structured is it has key parts of, of a person's life. Um, so it starts with the, what I think is the, the base of it for everyone, which is representation and education, which I think sets the groundwork of um, the way you navigate your life and the experiences and the education that you have and the understanding of the world. And then that goes into how that impacts different areas. So coming out, dating and relationships, mental health, sexual health, and pride. So when you actually do come out, um, your interactions within the community and uh, being part of your own identity. Um, I then also have a section of intersectionality. I can't go into all of the intersectionality because I would be there forever. Uh, but I go into uh, some important ones. Um, I go into MSPEC and trans, MSPEC and a person of colour, um, MSPEC being multi-gender attracted spectrum, because I touch on more than just bisexuality. Um, and I also go into MSPEC and A-spec, so uh, MSPEC and uh, asexual spectrum and aromantic spectrum, and the interaction with that as well. The, the the inspiration of it came from that 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 hashtag that you came from though you we came up with originally, which is "Bi Men Exist," which is basically you'd become like all of us, I suppose, frustrated that uh, we were just completely ignored from the equation. Nobody wanted to talk about us or even you know even sort of represent us in any way. Uh, and in fact, you know what's happened in re more recent times is that. Um, other groups have actually managed to get more exposure and coverage before bisexual men have. It's sort of, we, we, we've been overtaken in a way by others and we're still struggling, even though new figures have just come out saying that we're, you know, that, that, that we're pretty pretty strong figures in the census about bisexuality, etc. We're still in a difficult position. Um, what was it, just tell us, what was it that originally that made you realise that, that bisexual people are or seen, you know, as sort of, 
a non-entity, a, a, a sort of not not even not even sort of acknowledged. What was the what were the main frustrations you found as an individual? I mean, I think that really comes to my own process of coming out. I I first had attraction when I was eleven um, to more than one gender, but I didn't know what that meant because I personally didn't know that bisexual was even a thing that existed. And I think that that's a problem that a lot of people experience is when they first actually have those feelings, they don't know what to what to chalk it up to. They know gay, they know straight, um, but they don't understand attraction beyond that. They don't understand. It's like, you must be attracted to either this gender or that gender, and that's it. Um, when you finally do learn the word, it's never in a positive way. Um, I don't know a single person who learned the word and learned it as, that is a thing that you can be and is totally valid. It was always... This is a thing that some people make up and is actually not real, but they decide that it is. Um, and that was my experience. I uh, had a friend or a classmate who came out as bi-curious and everyone was like, who is she kidding? Uh, if she's gay, just say you're gay. What's the problem? Why are you pretending? What is bi-curious? Bi it's just nonsense, blah, blah, blah. Doing it for attention. All of those st stuff that you, you hear today, but it was... My first interaction with the word, my first ever interaction with the word was, this isn't a real thing. And then when I finally did come out, I experienced that from every corner. I experienced uh, cousins telling me, oh, no, you're actually gay, though, right? Like, if you had to pick one. And I'm like, I'm choosing not to pick one. That's the point. Um, like that's, that is the whole point of my identity. Why are you, why are you telling me that I need to pick one? Um, or I got told by other gay people, how do you know? Um, what does that mean? People saying that you're greedy, people saying that you, um, are undecided, people thinking that I'm closeted. And it was a constant, it was a constant problem. And I just got increasingly frustrated because I kept seeing stuff that was saying, there's a lot of us and there's a lot of organizations, there's a lot of people. And every time new data comes out saying the exact same thing that we've seen five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whether on the same scale or not, there's always something that's saying, what about 50%? And yet somehow people are still going, yeah, but you're not real. And I'm like, 50%, <laughs> half of this community. How is are we still not real to you? And many of us, of course, you know, suspect because people don't always aren't always honest in older age groups because of the what, the prejudice they felt. We suspect that the figures probably are you know just the tip of the iceberg anyway, don't we? In terms of numbers. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot to be said about the fact that bisexuality wasn't commonly used until maybe the seventies or eighties. There's a lot to be said about the fact that some people don't really decide to identify with a certain word. So they may go, well, I don't identify as bisexual, I'm, I'm queer, I'm, or I'm just me. Some people don't have that affinity with certain definitions. And I think the thing that it still showed is, so there's more recent, the more data came out afterwards, that gave, gave more of a breakdown. And it showed that whilst there is uh, bisexuality is increasing with younger and younger generations, it showed that we were across every generation. And I think that was a really key point that a lot, not a lot of people are picking up on. People go, oh, it's getting more popular. And I'm like, 
the more interesting part there is people still thinking that it's a phase, despite the fact that you can see that there's people who are 80 plus still using the word. And I think that that was a thing that's more important to me, because a lot of people are going to see that really large number of 16 to 24 year olds and go, they're just experimenting, they'll figure it out. And I'm like, there's an 80 plus person, like right there, still using that. And word. if you look at the figures more closely, um, which we, we've done, um, there are quite a number of towns and cities across the country, probably about 50 or 60 actually, where the bisexual population is high, significantly higher than the gay population. And, and if you add yeah. pan onto it as well, it's even higher, you know. So yeah. um, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, but no, what you, what you were saying there and what you're mentioning about how um, we're sort of told to sort of either deny or sort of see what you know our identities as something that is insignificant and we need to question it and all the rest of it um you were talking there about your first sort of experience acknowledgement at the age of age of 11 um that's a crucial period in your life isn't it between 11 and say 16 or whatever yeah um how do people what effect do you think i don't know how much research you've done in this area but you could obviously talk for your own your own experience how much effect does that sort of negativity about your identity of what you know inside is true how much does that negativity have on an individual you know in terms of how they are able to carry on and live their lives and, and you know and move forward it must be you know we, we don't know the extent of this because there's enough research but the the mental health impact mm. of this on yeah bisexual people must be huge must not it yeah, I think it's it's devastatingly huge. Um, you know, people talk about coming out and they talk about um, the the importance of it because of how difficult it can be in, to be in the closet. Um, and yet no one seems to acknowledge the fact that bisexual people uh, do not come out. The, the, the statistics show we don't come out. Um, there are statistics from Stonewall from 2017 that show that 14% of bisexual men are out to everyone in their family and 46% are out to no one. When you compare that to gay men, it is the complete reverse. 59% of gay men are out to everyone in their family and 10% are out to no one. You, you could not make it more worlds apart. Like, they are, they are so different. And... People go, well, what's the problem? And I'm like, that's the problem. Being in the closet is the problem. Um, Bisexual people are more likely to to suffer from anxiety, more likely to have depression, more likely to have suicidal ideation, more likely to self-harm. And all of that is a direct result of not coming out. And everyone I spoke to for my book, everyone, um, even myself, a lot of bisexual people either don't come out or come out much, much later because they just don't feel comfortable doing it. They just don't, they don't know what the impact is going to be. And I think sometimes for uh, gay men, it can be quite clear cut. Uh, Some of them don't come out until way later. But the fear is about coming out and experiencing homophobia. It's not about the the life destroying. I'm sure they're scared about the way it could like make their lives change. Um, but, you know, for example, when you look at gay men who get married to a woman and then eventually come out, there is obviously a fear of, you know, upheaving your family life. But it's also the positive impact of, well, 
I could find love and I could I could experience that. For bisexual and MSPEC men, that's not the case, right? They're married to someone that could be married to a woman and be very happily married to that woman. They have a family. It's all they want. It's it's the joy in their life. But at the same time, they feel like they're wearing a mask. And I spoke to multiple bisexual men who've said this. So I, I'm married to, to a woman. I love her. I don't want my life to change. But I'm hiding this from her. I'm constantly wearing a mask. I'm constantly keeping a secret and it's incredibly difficult it's incredibly impactful I'm depressed because I I feel like if I say something wrong I could ruin my whole life a life I don't want to change Sex, like mental health people don't always get it either um one person I spoke to said um they spoke to a therapist and the therapist was like well we all wear masks for different people and I'm like you're advocating for this guy to stay in the closet you're advocating for this guy to not tell his wife his sexuality. And it's because they don't think it's important. They're like, well, you're happily married. Why do you need to tell her your identity? Does it matter? It's like, yes, because it's a part of me. And a lot of people don't see sexuality like that. They see it as something that's external to you. It's who you're attracted to, not an intrinsic part of yourself. Yeah, no, absolutely. That is the big big issue, isn't it? And, and even bigger, I suppose, within the bisexual world in the sense that because we're, you know, affected quite heavily by, you know, heteronormative attitudes and things, you know, so many um, bi people are, are in, you know, um, heterosexual relationships or feel as though that's the way to go because, you know, they might actually want to have a have a, a lifestyle which is completely different but actually I feel as though this is the this is the way they're going to end up having to live their lives and and settle down and all that kind of stuff so you've got that constant sort of battle haven't you between what is perceived as the norm and what mm. they really want to do and there is still nowhere is there for people to go and really talk about this yes there are a few bisexual groups here and there whatever but you know the, the the support that is that is there on quite a big scale for the gay world generally is not there for bisexual people at all, is it really? No, I mean like we we have a good few groups and a good few communities. The problem with them is they don't have the funding. In the way that gay men and uh, gay institutions get a lot of funding, they get a lot of money, so they can make the network, they can reach an audience. Um, bisexual people don't get that. Um, there are statistics from the US that show that bisexual people again and again just get zero money. Um, and that's zero money compared to that there's like a huge pot of money that goes to LGBTQIA plus organizations, but zero goes to specific bi causes, bi organizations, bi issues. And what that means is that all of our organizations are small, grassroots, volunteer run. On a, on a shoestring budget. And it means that they can't do the stuff that gay organisations can. They can't make a big float at London Pride because that costs all of their money for the whole year. They can't make the, the big network of, um, you know, uh, mental health support because they can't hire the therapist because they don't have the money. They don't have people that they can bring in to do that kind of work. They can't hire out a venue. They can't be like, I'm going to put on this big event because they don't have the money to hire the venue. And so it means that we are continually minimalized in what we can do. And therefore, the support that we can offer 
is so much smaller than what other communities can. And while some of these communities are where LGBTQIA plus organisations, there's very little evidence that they actually do anything for specific bisexual people. They don't do anything specifically for them. They'll do a big group thing and all everyone from the community is welcome, but there's all, they're just dominated by normally gay men more than any other gay people. It's more normally gay men, normally white cis gay men, and because they dominate that space, no one else feels like they have any any space themselves to do something. So, um, yeah, I think it's a it's a really big issue, and the bike community is constantly fighting for resources that no one is giving them. And in your book, do you obviously you explore the whole issue as you said about uh, being isolated and people thinking you don't exist and all that kind of thing and you know, we know the general prejudice biphobia is out there. Do you go into detail as to the kind of uh, biphobia that people face? So, for example, um, there, there will be people who listen to us bisexual brunch for the first time often, and I think some people are quite shocked when they realise that um, the biphobia that exists isn't necessarily just from the mainstream straight communities. It's actually quite considerable within the LGBT community, which is scary, really. Uh, and, yeah. and that never really gets tackled, does it? No, it doesn't. But it is a really big problem. Um, you know, a lot of people go, well, why focus loads on that? And, you know, surely the, 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 the bigotry that you get from wider society is bigger. And, and they're right. We, there is more bigotry from outside than in. But the problem is, is that when you go into these spaces, you expect them to be safe. Right, You expect them to be a place where you are welcome, where you are supported, and we don't get that. Bisexual and MSOC people just don't get that. We go into these spaces and we get more rejection. And it hurts more. It hurts more as a problem. Um, I go into some really specific examples. I think one of the big ones uh, historically was the London Lesbian and Gay Centre in the UK. Um, in the 80s, they famously banned bisexual groups. And the main issue was the fact that, well, firstly, we aren't lesbian and gay, and therefore we shouldn't be in the space. But they also saw bisexual men as actually straight men who are predators who will go and target lesbians. And, you know, bisexual men could go and do that. Bisexual men aren't perfect beings. But it was, it was very telling that they saw us as straight they didn't see us as bisexual. They didn't see us as part of the community. They saw us as external. Um, one of the more recent issues was um, Pride in London. In 2017, they didn't have a single bi float. And you would think the biggest pride in, in the UK, you would have representation from each of the different uh, parts of our community. But there wasn't a single bi float. And... Their response was very, well, no one applied, so what are we supposed to do? And that just baffles me, because I think, well, if you're running a pride organisation, you have a duty of care to make sure that uh, everyone is represented. And if you see that no one has applied, you should be asking yourself, why? Why have no bisexual organisations applied to be part of our, our parade? And what are, the, what are the blockers? Is it money? Is it time? Is it... 
the amount of paperwork, you need to be asking those questions. Are you connecting to those organizations? Because it sounds like you're not. If you were connected to the organizations, you'll be like, oh, by the way, don't forget the deadline. Are you applying? Are you coming? Are you going to be part of it? And when the bisexual organizations fought them and said, we need to change this, they got shut down quite a lot. They were told, one of the people were told that they're just really annoying and wish they could shut up. Um, and eventually, after God knows how long of battling them, they finally had Bi Pride marching and Bi Pride reached out to the other organizations to make sure that representatives from those organizations were also a part of the parade. But it shouldn't have come to that. Um, yeah, there's, there's loads on a very individual level as well. People tell me how they worked in an LGBTQIA plus bar and were constantly getting discrimination from the people, the, the customers at the bar. Um, they were told that they're just predators or they were told that they're invading the space or they're queer baiting or all other kinds of complete nonsense because we're part of the community. Why do you think it is? Why do you think it is that there's so much prejudice within the LGBT community from, you know, from, say, gay men or lesbians or whatever? Because I've, uh, you know, very specific uh, cases and things things happen and very and very very recently in fact we had a whole thing didn't we in the in the in the media over um the actor in um in Heartstopper, in Heartstopper. who was yeah. uh, targeted wasn't he um you yeah. know what 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 is it what do you think is deep down you've you've done this book and you've obviously yeah. you you've spoken to a lot of people um do you, do you have a conclusion as to why people are prejudiced from within the gay community I would say that my theory behind it is the queer community is a microcosm of society at large. And just because that these, these people are marginalised doesn't necessarily mean that they're any better than the people outside of the community. So all of these people have had the same education, the same learnings as everyone else. And... As we know, education doesn't support bisexual people. Representation did for a very long time and even today doesn't show us very well. Um, and so these people don't know bisexuality. And my personal, my personal feelings is that when you are part of the, a community, it is your duty of care. It is, it is a requisite that you understand everyone else within your community and you uphold and support the community. But I don't think a lot of people care enough to do that. I think a lot of gay and lesbian people, particularly, come into the community, they get over their trauma, they come out, they find a network, and that's kind of it for them. They go, I've now got a safe space, I've got my friends, I've got this, I've got that. And they don't do the work that it takes to unlearn the stuff that they've learned from the journey before that. They don't unlearn the, the bioration, the biphobia. They don't unlearn the transphobia. They don't unlearn any of that. And so we then have a repeating cycle. They, they create harm within the community because they aren't doing any better than everyone outside them. Um, I think it's everyone's... Everyone should be learning constantly. Life is a learning process. But I think when you're part of the community, it is a duty. Like, if you're, otherwise you're not part of a community. You're just another queer person that exists. 
you aren't part of a community because the community is about supporting one another and looking after one another. And you can only do that if you unlearn the stuff and educate yourself and understand the, uh, the people's issues and then work with them to help them. Uh, in a moment, I want to talk to you specifically about interse- intersectionality with regards to um, bi and, and trans. But before we do that, the book that you've created um, has is big and bold. It says bisexual men exist. Uh, if you yeah. was on your bookshelf or you went into a bookshop to get it or whatever it may be, um, you wouldn't be able to avoid the words. Is there a reason for that? Do you want to? Do you want it to be really bold? Uh, what I'm, I suppose what I'm getting at is, you know, anybody who goes out to buy this, um, you know, they're gonna they're gonna know what's in the tin, aren't they? Quite quickly. Yeah, and that that was definitely purposeful. I wanted it to be bold. I wanted it to be in your face. I wanted it to make a statement. I wanted it to to say we exist. Like that that's 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 the point of this book. We are we are here. We are out here. Um, we exist, but really, that's the start of the conversation. the The content on the book isn't me constantly trying to prove we exist. That is the starting point. You go into the book, and I'm saying, "Hey, we exist." That is a thing. That is agreed. That is the prerequisite for starting this book. Now you need to understand what it means to exist as a bisexual man. What it what our experiences are, what the structures are in society, what they are doing that impact us. That is, the statement is is something that you need to learn before you even start it. Afterwards, we then go into, well, what is the trauma that we have? What are the barriers that we face in society? Um, what are the, the problems that aren't being tackled? Um what do we need to fix? Um, and also for the, the bisexual people reading it, what are some things that you can do to help yourself? What are some some guidelines or some uh, advice that we can give as other bisexual men that may help you in on your own journey? Um, but yeah, I wanted the, the font to be really bold. I wanted it to really make a statement so that when you see it, you go, oh, okay, they exist, cool. Um, and that's that's the start of the journey. Um, it really then goes beyond that. And hopefully, if it is on people's bookshelves and things, it'll start off a, a separate conversation with more people as well along along the way. Um, but in yeah. saying in saying bisexual men exist, you're focusing specifically on men here. This is an issue as yeah. well, isn't it? Because there are survey after survey after survey about bisexuality, and it is acknowledged by mainstream society that that. There are bisexual women generally. The people think, "Oh, yeah, yeah but women are bi, yeah, but you know, whatever." But very, but, but, but there's often an issue with. with I've, I've heard people, I've heard scientists actually talk about, "Oh, bisexuality is prevalent amongst women, but there's very few men who are bisexual. It's a very small number of men, kind of thing." So yeah. we're battling again, aren't we, against uh, a, a, yeah. a, a, another prejudice around this issue that for some reason people have got used to acknowledging that that women. Uh, can have a prevalence to bisexuality, but there some, seems to be some kind of kickback uh, to even think that men would even consider it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, firstly, the statistics show that that's not true. Um, they statistically show that there are more bisexual women than men, but 
we are not an insignificant amount. If you say 50% of the community is bisexual, and then they say, well, 60% of that is is women, and 30 to 40% of that is men, that's not an insignificant amount. We're not 5% of that. We're not 1% of that. We're a third. We're, like, we're, we're nearly half. We're not that far off it. So we're not an insignificant amount of that population. But I think the the problem is, is that bisexuality in women is often accepted from a fetishization point of view. It's so often um, from a view of, oh, they're this, they're this fantasy, they're this sexual object of desire. And it's, that's how it's so often portrayed. It's so often this, this woman who is overtly sexual and wants a lot of, of sex and really enjoys it. And that's not a negative thing, but it can become fetishistic. It, it's often not even played as a part of their own identity. It's played as a part for the male gaze. It's played as, um, oh, oh, I, I'm a woman kissing this other woman, but you didn't think I would leave you out, would do you? I'm, come on, come and get involved. And then the man gets all those like, giant bug eyes and jumps in. It's so often how they portray bisexual women, um, which means that they are accepted, but at a cost. It often leads to violence. It often leads to a lot of problems. Bisexuality in men, like we said, it's not accepted. It's not seen as a thing that's real. It's, it's, we, we aren't seen as something that exists. And that really comes down to this idea of, of phallocentrism. It's this idea that our sexuality is defined by our attraction and our intimacy and our sexual experiences to the penis. And the penis is seen as something that can alter you, it changes you. And so when by men have sex with other men, it's seen as something that we, quote unquote, can't come back from. We've had that, we've done that, and therefore we are now altered. We are different people now. And there's no way that we can then go back to what is heterosexuality, heteronormativity. We can't go back to having sex with women because we are now different people. And it's, it's used as an exclusionary thing. And because our, our society just sees everything as binary, it's seen as, as you're either gay or you're either straight. It's one or the other. You have to pick one. Um, we're seen as gay. We're seen as gay men. We're seen as closeted, we're seen as hiding it, we're seen as down low. There's so many different terms for it. But ultimately, we're seen as gay men. And it's, it's, a, thing, it's a problem in society when we, when we have a system that so often punishes and penalizes men who stray away from what it means to be a man. Um, women definitely get it to an extent. But there's a lot more pushback there. Um, and I think that's because that's, that's thanks to women. Women push back on that. Women have, you know, they, they have the feminist movement that pushes back to what it means to be a woman and it's changing that narrative. Men don't do that. Men, if anything, are upholding a narrative of we, we, we punish and penalise other people. If we see men, other men straying away from it, we punish them. Whilst women will so often champion other women who move away from it. Um, so I think that that is the problem, is that men, men ultimately are the problem. We are our worst enemy. We punish ourselves when we stray away from it. Even from, like, 
if we don't like football or if we decide to dance or we are into art or we are we sew or we do anything that is outside of what it means to be a man we punish each other for it and therefore the idea that we wouldn't solely be attracted to women we punish each other for it now you said you mentioned that there's a, a huge section or quite a few sections on the inter- intersectionality side of things um let's di- dig into one of them a little bit if we can uh, because i don't think we talk about this enough actually um there is a lot in common isn't there between the bisexual community and the trans community that really doesn't yeah. get talked about um in fact i was quite disappointed in the census figures actually because i was hoping it might have just um shown you know figures as to how many people are bisexual who are trans because my experience mm. is that a lot of them are hell a lot hell of a yeah. lot of trans people happen to be bisexual as well so we've got um we've got things in common haven't we here and, and and things maybe we could do to help each other in a way what um just tell us a bit about your about the 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 chapter that you've done on on intersectionality around this area yeah i'm just going to say you're absolutely right i don't think i actually managed to put the statistics in my in my book but i do recall seeing statistics from gender intelligence that shows exactly that i think it's Something along the lines of like 50% of trans people are bisexual, which is a large number of trans people. So what I, what I looked at with my book is I obviously, you know, it's not my own lived experience. So I spoke to a lot of bisexual trans people and pansexual and M-spec trans people and asked them what their experiences are, what it means to be both. And what I experienced a lot is... Um, Again, there's this idea that uh, there's this idea of gender essentialism, which is if you are a man, you must be like this. And if you are a woman, you must be like that. And so what a lot of um, bisexual M-spec, bisexual M-spec trans men experienced is the fact that they wanted to or they, they are transitioning to, I should say, being a man they had certain expectations placed upon them. And that ranged from all sorts of things, um, but eventually meant that people thought that they must surely want to only be attracted to women, because that's what it means to be a man. Um, but it was a range of different things. Some people said, you know, they, they came out as uh, a trans man, and people will go, oh, so, you know, now we can go to football together. And it's like, I'm a man, that doesn't now mean I'm into football. Like, those aren't two things that come together. Um, It's so funny how people put that together. It's like, you're a man, you must be attracted to football now. Um, And it's like, no, I I still hate football. That's still a thing, it's part of my personality. Um, But it it meant a lot of people thought that they must be attracted to, to women. And... This isn't just a just a little thing that's, that you can just throw away. Oh, people think I'm attracted to only women now. Ha ha. It has real consequences because it has real consequences when it comes to transitioning. Now, historically, when it came to transitioning, there was an expectation placed upon trans people that you must be attracted to the gender that that relates to what your identity is. So if you are a trans man, you must be attracted to women. And gay trans men weren't something that that was understood. And there was a lot of work that was put into to unlearning that and to changing that medical process. But 
but it's still a problem. It's it's not a, uh, a requirement anymore, but it's still a problem. Where when you go through the gender identity clinics and talk to the psychologist so you can get that transition, there is that expectation of, well, who are you attracted to? And it's a problem for, for all queer trans men, um, so gay and bisexual, but it becomes worse when you are bisexual because it plays into that idea that you're confused. A lot of uh, psychologists and therapists try to see trans people as confused. Like, are you sure this is your identity? Are you sure this is what you want? It's what leads to all of those, those rules of, you know, you must live in your gender for two years um, because you must prove that this is definitely what you want to be. You're not going to change your mind. You're not going to want to detransition. Um, you have to prove it to someone. And when you are, you go in there and go, I'm also bisexual, I'm also attracted to beyond a single gender, it plays into that narrative because bisexuality is so often seen as you're just confused, you're figuring it out, you're making up your mind, you've got to give it time, you'll come out eventually. And so when they go in and go, I am a trans man, also I am bisexual, it goes... Are you, are you sure you know what you want? It just sounds like you're just still figuring it out. And it creates more barriers. It means that they can't get the care that they need. They can't transition. They can't get the, the medical uh, stuff that they, they want. They can't get hormones. They can't get top surgery or bottom surgery. Um, and that's before they even get to the fact that, that the year-long waiting list and the and the fact that there's no one to actually do these surgeries, um, it's it's incredibly frustrating the amount of barriers it creates for these people. There's a complete conflation between gender identity, sexual orientation, and um, presentation, uh, and interest. And there's a conflation between all of those things, and people think that all of them must align. Your personality and your interests must align with your sexuality, must align with your sexual orientation, must align with your gender identity. And that's, that's not true. You can be a feminine, straight, trans man. That is a thing that exists. And people don't understand that. They, don't, they can't comprehend it. It's like, well, then what does it mean to be a trans man if you are also feminine and you are straight? That, what? That doesn't, no. People just refuse to accept it. Um, and so, yeah, holding more than one identity outside of the, the quote-unquote norm uh, becomes confusing for everyone else. And that confusion leads to barriers, it leads to harm, it leads to, um, it leads to issues, it leads to increased struggles. You know, my book isn't the first word on the subject, and I don't want it to be the last. I want it to be a catalyst to start more conversations. You know, there's a lot of intersections I didn't go into. Let's have a book that's entirely focused on that intersection. Um, there was, I don't know, that was the, it was the biggest section in my book. It was sort of, I think it was 9,000 words just on that section. And there was a lot more to say on each of the ones that I go into and everything I didn't. The thing is about bisexuality is it's so so nuanced. <laughs> There's so yeah. many people's experiences are so different, aren't they? I mean, what we what we've yeah. discovered since starting bisexual brunches, and we have a, a a personal journey story on every program. Every story is totally totally different, and uh, yeah. 
and, you know, but people find that difficult to cope with, don't they? I mean, there's like a lot of similarities with the stuff we've had to deal with, but at the same time, the way it plays out for us can be very different. And also the fact that what we want from our lives are very different. They go, oh, all bisexual people are like this. I'm like, the fact that you've even started a line with all bisexual people are, you know, every single bisexual person I've met is different. We are individual people. We have a common experience of bisexuality, but what we want from our lives, what we experience, uh, what we, who we love, how we love, is all very different. And after our lengthy delve into his uh, new book, I asked Vineet what his plans were for the future. I really want to get into writing fiction. It's something that I've always wanted to do. It's, it's the reason I started writing in the first place, is to really build up my skills so I can eventually write some fiction. And I really want to write stories that have bisexual characters, but the story isn't necessarily about our identity. It's not about coming out. It's not about, it's not a big allegory yeah. for a coming out. It's, it's not about our trauma. It's just us and we exist and something else is happening and it's, it's completely sidelined to the plot, but also we are bisexual. Yeah. And it's what need, we're it's, doing it's, and what it's we're desperately needed. Desperately, desperately needed. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, Heartstopper, fantastic. Really good, really good show. Um, but, you know, and I've mentioned this a couple of times on Bisexual Brunch, what struck me about it was I wasn't going to watch it just because I mm. thought, oh, it's another, it's just another gay romance thing. I'm not, it's, it's about teenagers, I'm not that bothered. I saw it, I saw yeah. the guys on, uh, the people on the Gogglebox reviewing it and I thought, oh, yeah. it looks interesting, but I'm not, I, I never knew until I actually sat down and watched it that it had any kind of bisexuality in it at all. There was yeah, no promotion yeah. of that at all. No. You know. No. Because, and it feels like he's, like, the way that they do his character is, is great in a lot of ways. But at the same time, he does feel like an accessory sometimes. It's, yes, he's bisexual. Yes, that's his struggle. But at the same time, he's not the main person. They try and make it a big group thing, but it really does feel like Charlie's story and what Charlie is experiencing and what Nick is experiencing in relation to that can feel quite sidelined at times. Um, and so a lot of people aren't focusing on that. They they see a gay romance rather than a, a queer romance, rather than a men-love-men romance that includes a bisexual person within that. They raise it by calling it a gay romance. Vineet, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Yes, lovely to be here. And Vineet's new book, Bisexual Men Exist, um, a handbook for bisexual, pansexual and M-spec men, is available from all good bookshops and online, I do believe. It's published by Jessica Kingsley Publishers or JKP Gender, actually. You can get them at, on Twitter. It's at JKP Gender. And, of course, uh, Vineet is also on Twitter. He's at uh, Nintendom Ad eight eight eight. That's Nintendom Ad eight 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 on Twitter. Obviously, we discussed all sorts there uh, with Vinit, and we'll pick up some of those particular topics at some point in the future. We've already done a bit on trans and bisexuality and the intersectionality. Met a few people uh, on the show in uh, in the last year or so, and hopefully we'll do more on uh, bi and trans in the future. Uh, but just to remind you um, from what we said before the interview, and that is that we're really interested in hearing from older people over 50 uh, who are struggling 
to come out as bisexual or have come out as bisexual and it's turned their life upside down, whether it be positively or negatively. We really want to hear your stories uh, because we know full well there is a bisexual community that's hidden out there um, that we don't connect with, um, that doesn't necessarily always connect through social media and through various other things. So it might be actually that you know of somebody who is bisexual, who's older. Uh, and might want to talk and again they can be anonymous if they want to be but we really want to create a community and create a discussion uh, and some support for people who are older men and women or any gender who are bisexual or pansexual and need to communicate really about their true identity so please do get in touch info at madeinmanchester.tv or uh, contact us uh, with a direct message on twitter and now it's time to ask a bisexual. Right, okay. Our question this week, it's not really a question, it's more of a statement, but I think we're looking for us to sort of comment on it, really. I'm Danny, 24, from Renfrewshire in Scotland, a bi man currently in a relationship with another man. It's a great relationship. We've been dating for six years, and we also combine it with an active, open relationship as well. He has no problem with me meeting women or men for casual fun. So best of all worlds, I suppose, but it still feels that one day I'll have to settle down with a woman and have kids. I know it's what my family, society expects of me, and it's the most likely scenario if I'm to have children, I feel. I don't want to think like this. It feels like whatever happens, I'll have to call time on this, though, on this part of my life eventually. I feel an overwhelming societal pressure. What do we make of that? I don't think that's unusual. I think there's a lot of people out there feel exactly the same way, both bisexual men and bisexual women. I don't know how you change that. I think it's a long way from from changing. I think you've got to be strong in order to decide to follow your own path. Um, And there's always going to be pressures. And certainly I know that uh, with women, there is this thing of, you know, it's always okay to enjoy yourself and play around when you're younger but, you know, you are going to have to settle down with a man at some point. Uh, that's the narrative, isn't it, Nikki? Well, yes and no. I mean, that I didn't used to think about this too much. But before we had our daughter, Perla, we, we thought we might have to have fertility treatment. And what became very apparent to me is that if you were to need or want surrogacy, you basically couldn't have it. It's just so impossible. And yet surrogacy is seen as kind of the avenue for anyone that doesn't end up with a woman uh, to have a baby. And I I worry that bisexual men just think there's just no way that I'll be able to have a baby of my own if I don't have a female partner. So I think that gets in the way. And the other thing I would say, you know, from, from a female perspective, actually, I know a lot of bi women or, and gay women that just don't even worry about it because it's obviously easier to get sperm donated. So then they stay with women. So I think actually men staying with men if they're bi and they want a family is very, very hard. And I don't blame anyone for thinking, well, it's just easier to have a female partner. Yeah, I would um, I'd agree with that. It's definitely, a, you know, it's definitely an issue. You know, as someone said to me, it was a gay guy, though. He was like, you know, if you're a woman, you, you know, you just need a, a guy um, to do his business in a cup and then you're good. I need a, I need an oven. Um, Look, I think with this, this is not uncommon. My advice would be lean into the relationship because what I do find is you can kind of have all these ideals of what you want your life to be like. But if you're in a relationship that you're enjoying, that is making you happy, that is so much 
more valuable um, than going off in the pursuit of something. And I, you know, I'm a dad of three. I, you know, obviously know the importance of, of wanting to have kids and, and, and that kind of thing. But I do think, you know, you, can, you can't go into your sexuality with a game plan. You know, if you've met your partner and your relationship is good, that's worth holding on to because you might, you know, become single and then never meet a woman that likes you anyway, or, or one that, you know, is a the relationship doesn't work and it ends up breaking up and then, you know, you, you, you're separated, you've got children. I, I would just say lean into the relationship. And I'd also say, I do think bisexuality at the moment, you know, bisexuality is hard anyway because your life changes based on the sex of your partner. You know, that, uh, you know, I think it's something we haven't even delved into enough on this show because there's obviously those figures about bisexual people are more likely to um, experience uh, domestic abuse. And I think as much as people say, oh, bisexuals, you know, you can't trust them, they just, they'll just wander off. I actually think that for bisexuals in relationships, leaving a relationship is actually one of the most scariest things. It's not that you just leave a relationship, you're leaving that whole way of life, you're leaving that ability to have a, a biological child with your partner, or you're leaving that connection to the agency, whatever it is. So I think it's hard anyway, but then I think you add in this sort of time in which we live in, where no one likes to kind of shut a door, if that makes sense. We, you know, we've got this culture of, you know, we can watch anything at any time, we can order anything at any time, we like to have all the options in the world. And I think that that maybe compounds a little bit, where you're always kind of like, whenever you feel that there's a door closed, it feels wrong but you shouldn't have to have that absolutely absolutely well i hope that um that danny um as you say focuses on the relationship that's the most important thing at the end of the day and there are ways around these different things i know um, nikki was saying you know how people perceive it in terms of having kids but you know you can have kids with another man if necessary you know if you really want to go down that route i think it's important just i think the most important thing which we again we say all the time but i don't think people do enough is to communicate uh to talk to you know, work it through and to understand the other person as much as possible. And as a bit of fun, uh, I decided to uh, put another scenario uh, to um, uh, Lewis and Nikki, uh, this time from the Sun newspaper. I'd been uh, scurrying around uh, in the press looking for various things to do with bisexuality, and I noticed that Dear Deirdre, um, that's an advice column that's been around for a long time in the Sun, uh, was tackling bisexuality um so i thought i'd put the scenario that dear deirdre uh, was working on uh, to nikki and lewis dear deirdre the day after i told my boyfriend i was pregnant he announced he was bisexual i don't understand why he waited till we were having a baby to tell me something so important and now i'm wondering that he might be gay we've been a couple we've been a couple for five years i'm 29 he's 34 when we got together, we talked about past relationships. He listed several women, but never mentioned that he'd ever been with a man or been attracted to one. He was the one who pushed who pushed for us to live together, talked about marriage and wanted to start to try and have a baby. I got pregnant quickly and I was so excited to tell him. At first, he acted like he was happy, but afterwards he seemed subdued. The next day, he dropped the bombshell that he's, that he's bisexual. I don't have a problem with that, um, doesn't she? <laughs> but what hurts me is that he has kept it to himself. I wanted this to be a special time. Instead, I'm worried about why he didn't tell me the truth. I feel I don't know him at all. Deirdre answers, his timing couldn't have been worse. But please be reassured that the fact he is bi doesn't necessarily mean he's going to go off with a man at any moment. Tick. He's got a plus point there. Just as any committed heterosexual male isn't necessarily going to cheat with every other woman. 
Perhaps he feels the baby has cemented your relationship, so he's finally brave enough to tell the truth. Or maybe the baby news has scared him and he's wobbling. What do we make of that? Well, it's interesting because I know one of the ladies that writes Dear Deidre. Dear Deidre doesn't write Dear Deidre. Sorry, you know, spoiler alert. Um, and the lady in question is pretty cool. And I think she's probably had a hand in, in some elements of that. I've got to say, from the perspective of someone that's been pregnant and you feel very vulnerable when you are pregnant, if my partner had told me at that time, I would have felt very wobbly. And now that's not to say it was wrong. And I do lean into the idea that, well, the other person thought it was time to come clean about something that was very significant. That's I, I sort of believe that that's probably the reason. Not that he's having a wobble. But, yeah, it can be quite disorienting, I, I imagine. Lewis? Yeah, they didn't do too much of a bad job there. Um, you know, I think that they answered the, the question barely. Um, and who's, who's, who's to know? I mean, we don't know these people. It's always harder, I think, sometimes when it's not the bisexual kind of writing in. It's, it's someone else that's, um, that's got a bisexual in their life and a bisexual issue. What would be interesting, though, of course, is to, we haven't got time to do this, and this, somebody who's a bit of an anorak around these things, to look through the archives and see what uh, the dear Deirdre was saying, because she's been around a long time, dear Deirdre column, hasn't it? Um, what Deirdre was saying, you're going to call Deirdre, <laughs> I'm sure she has been quite dreary over the years, uh, what Deirdre, Deirdre was saying 20 years ago, you know what I mean? I bet it's changed, I bet it's altered. Even You see, even the sun evolves over time. <laughs> Ready to ask a question of your own? Send an email now to info at madeinmanchester.tv and in the subject line say, for the attention of Bisexual Brunch, and you might get featured on a future show. Don't be shy, they won't bite. Okay, well that's Bisexual Brunch for this week. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at at Bisexual Brunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye for now. So, another Bisexual Brunch over. Uh, Nikki, you're taking a bit of a sabbatical. I am, unfortunately, because I'm on a book deadline, as, as uh, Lewis was a few months ago. Uh, I've really got to finish something very, very quickly. And unfortunately, as much as I love being here, now that I've got the pearl of pie, time is very limited. So I feel it's better to just go off, finish that, and then I'll be back. And in this book, which I know gathers around mental health, um, and then you've talked about it before because I've done things with you on other shows that I, I produce, are you going to be mentioning your sexuality? Yes, very much so, because it flips between, so basically it's a psychosis memoir, and it takes you on the journey of my descent into madness, <laughs> and um, interestingly, it tackles the people that I go to for help, and lots of them are my ex-partners, and obviously that's a mix of genders, so you'll be able to see the kind of different dynamics of those relationships play out, and I, you know, it's just, it's not drawn attention to the fact that I'm bi, but that's how it should be, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, good. Well, good luck with it. Hope it goes well. Perla seems to have gone quiet now. She's settled. She's happy. She's asleep on a on a little play mat, which is you're not meant to do it. Don't don't at me if you're a health visitor or someone. But she's got her eyes closed. I'm going to put her in a bed now. <laughs> well, obviously, bisexual brunch has helped tonight. She's helped. She's helped <laughs> I just so think she likes the sound of my voice. So at least somebody <laughs> does. This program is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.